If uh, the, the aliens like manufactured you to be uh, a nah. mixed martial arts fighter, they're like, let's see if we can just turn. This I'm sure. Into I would, a bad it, I'm sure if it would have happened, I would have been much better than than, than this. Much know? better than this. You're the fucking champion. What are yeah, you talking but about? if I would be alien manufacturer, I would be a <laughs> Superman. You know. Hello, ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, aliens, Martians, any conscious being tuning into the podcast. I welcome you to episode 42 of Martian Mixed Martial Arts. This week with me, I have one of my favorite reoccurring guests coming back to the show, Sri Ram. What is good, my man? Uh, not much, except being here is pretty nice. Uh, and, you know, ton of UFC events, ton of fighting this weekend, so... Yeah, you, you got, uh, won't be bored. You got that right. Uh, two UFC cards along with uh, KSW and Bellator happening this weekend. Unfortunately, we won't have time to talk about or uh, really get into KSW or Bellator, even though the card's looking pretty good. There was just so much on the docket this week with, Uf- with the UFC. 22 UFC fights going down in about 24 hours or within 24 hours of each other. Um, we're recording this Wednesday night. It'll probably be out by Thursday, so you guys will have uh, you know a day and a half, two days to hear about these fights but uh before we talk about the fights this weekend we're going to rewind the clock and talk to about the ufc beijing card that went down this past saturday morning uh the prelims were on way earlier than uh, like 3 30 in the morning so that those are a little bit too much to wake up for and didn't have enough time to rewatch those ever because i was taping so many fights for this week so we're just going to stick to the main card to keep this one short and snappy so uh, starting off, uh, the leech Li Jingling defeating David Zawada via front leg sidekick and some ground and pound in the third round. What did you think of the leech's performance in this one? Uh, it was pretty decent outside of the first knockdown just because, I mean, Jingling's always been a really slow starter and he's never been particularly defensively good. That's why he's been known as such a fun fighter could take shots and he, you know, comes back with Venom. And I had a, not a big play, but I had a decent play on Jingliang uh, by TKO. It was plus 335. So he saved me there in the final minute. He got it officially four minutes and eight seconds into round three. So thank you for that, Lee. And uh, Zavada made a decent impression of himself like he did against uh, Danny Roberts. But this is kind of falling upwards for Zavada, considering that I mean, this was another replacement fight. Jing Liang was supposed to fight Eliseo Zaleski dos Santos, and Zavada stepped in just like he stepped in against Danny Roberts. So he's probably staying. Not a bad performance, but Jing Liang just proved to be a little bit too physical and a little bit too um, offensively punishing. Uh, I bet you thought for a good while there that that bet was toast uh, heading into <laughs> heading into the scorecards, but he did pull that shit off. Um, Unfortunately, I uh, yeah that was that was nice. I uh, I can never forgive Lee Jing Ling. I I remember I was like so hype on him after he knocked out uh, Bobby Nash. I bet on his knockout line 
um, against Jake Matthews, and like I was expecting it to open up in like the plus two hundreds, and it opened up at plus four hundred, and I went crazy, and uh, didn't even come close to hitting. So I did bet him again, just like his plus or his minus points in this one, and I, I was kind of sweating that too. Like you said, the that knockdown in the first, I think Zawada probably won the first, but Jingliang came back strong and won the second and third. I don't think my uh, my plus yeah points. Go ahead. Jake Matthews is just someone like I don't think I'll be I think I have a little bit on his opponent this weekend but it's just he's way too unreliable and he kind of screwed me against Jing Liang when he sort of just realized that he was bigger and stronger than everyone else so I mean what can you do Yeah, um, we will talk. That's a great fight. We will talk about that matchup coming up later. Um, and we had next fight. We had uh, Song Yadong defeat Vince Morales via decision. Uh, Song Yadong just you know showcasing his uh, very uh, very matured striking for a, such a young guy. Vince Morales is uh, he hung in there pretty well. He hung, looked like he had some decent cardio and was pretty tough. So um, you know decent debut for him, but unfortunately he ran into a pretty uh, pretty surging prospect in Song Yadong. I don't really have any, you know, monumental takes on this fight. Song Yadong is a decent prospect, probably the best Asian prospect at this point, considering how uh, badly Lee Jingliang has made account of himself after that um, at Matthews fight with the eye gouges. But Song Yadong, he's athletic. He showed that he has a decent opportunistic submission game against um, Barrett Kandare, my countryman. And, you know, that was a source of eternal... No, not really. But... Song Yadong, he's, uh, he looked good against Vince Morales. I actually expected him to sub Vince Morales, but I didn't put any action on this fight. Because Vince Morales, he looked decent against Domingo Pilarte on the feet. He just seemed a little bit too panicked to get up in that fight and got RNC. So I figured it'd be a sub, but both guys making a decent account of themselves in this You said it best. Uh, I agree with everything you said. He's he's uh, he's a good fighter, but he's nothing. I don't think anything special. The one thing I did say is the best prospect, the Asian prospect. You forgot is the Asian sensation, Andre Sukumtata. <laughs> I kid, I kid. Um, I mean, Sukumtat. He's legitimately talented, but it takes like a really great talent who's really really uh, like stupid to get three knockdowns in a fight, lose the fight. And then get a thirty twenty six while throwing away every single possible opportunity to get the knockout. Yeah, he's he's dumb. Uh, no, no other way around it. Uh, co-main event, we had the Ream Alistair Overeem come back with a great win over Sergey Polovich via ground and vicious vicious ground and pound knockout in the first round. I thought that. Polovich was out after maybe one or two shots, and whoever the ref was for this fight let him take like six to eight more vicious hammer fist for no good reason. Uh, so good, good thing uh, the Ream looked uh, back to back to speed. Polovich looked nothing, nothing like he did uh, in his previous fights. Usada definitely got to this guy. He uh, he was stiff and slow, and he couldn't take a shot, and his cardio looked bad. Nothing, nothing like his uh, fights leading up to this. Undefeated. So, uh, guarantee Usada got to him. I mean, I don't necessarily agree. Pavlovic is from uh, Fight Nights Global, which is a pretty reputable organization. But he also hadn't beaten anyone that I consider particularly good. I don't follow Fight Nights Global too much, but... I know a few names, and Pavlovich hadn't really been too impressive in his previous... I expected him to get blown out against Alistair Overeem, which 
made me pretty shocked when Overeem opened up as the underdog. It really seemed like people were just waiting for Overeem to lose to someone that isn't very good, but, you know, has pure power as a heavyweight. But Overeem made, you know, a good impression here, tripped Pavlovich to the ground. And, yeah, I think Pavlovich was out, like, with the first shot. He just flattened out when that overhand landed on the ground. And Overeem just beat the crap out of him once he was out. So that was a bad stoppage, but it's nice to see the Reem back on track. And moving on to the main event of the night, we have the Predator, Francis Naganu. Uh, I, I just like saying Naganu better than Nganu for some reason. Defeated Curtis Razor Blades via knockout in the first round, 45 seconds in. A massive overhand right that landed uh, on the back of the ear of Curtis Blades that uh, knocked his, him off equilibrium. And then he... Uh, Naganu landed some uh, f- following up uh, strikes, and the ref of this one, good stoppage, I think, in this one. Uh, I think Mark Goddard was the ref, but I'm not 100% sure. Uh, he got in there and weighed this one off the second Curtis was uh, out of it. So good stoppage, and uh, nice to see uh, uh, Naganu back on track. And honestly, didn't expect it at all. I thought he was going to you know, get wrestle-fucked like he did, look tentative like he did in his past couple fights, but... Man, what what do you have to think about the what do you how can you explain the Derek Lewis fight then after you saw this performance? Do you think that there's a little that there's a little more suspicion about that fight after this fight? Uh, I wouldn't say so. I actually, and I don't mean to brag, but I call, well I do mean to brag, but I actually <laughs> called this pretty well in both my bets. I had one on uh, Ngannou and one on Ngannou ITD. So I pretty much saw this happening as soon as I saw how badly Blades is defensively. I think the one thing that people don't realize about the Ngannou-Lewis fight is just they don't give Lewis enough credit, right? And they don't give Miocic enough credit. Ngannou, he comes out and swings, but it takes some very specific traits to really neutralize him. Stipe had the defense, Stipe had the outfighting, and Lewis just had the raw power. You can't exchange with Lewis. And Lewis dinged Ngannou, and people forget this. The one big shot of this fight, of that fight rather, was Ngannou dinging, uh, getting dinged with a big right hand from Lewis uh, fairly early in the fight. And Ngannou just got the yips. He got the yips from that one right hand. You don't have to be afraid of Curtis Blades' hand. We all knew this. You have to be afraid of the uh, reactive takedown when Ngannou swings wide. But Blades has had the reactive takedown in their first fight. And Ngannou just didn't give a shit. Ngannou just kept swinging. So I figured that Ngannou would get the knockout here just because Blades is really bad defensively won and Ngannou was able to pretty much tag him a will in the first fight. And I don't think it makes the Lewis fight suspicious. It's just that Lewis is a very, very unique threat. Speaking of threats, honestly, the thing that I'm thinking about this is that the the African mafia of some sort saw that Derek Lewis by decision was paying 10 to one and Derek Lewis's money line was paying three to one and they invested all of their whatever drug money the African mafia uh, sells or uh, profits from excuse me they'd use that money to bet on Derek Lewis and threaten that they would, you know, kill uh, all of the villagers in Cameroon, uh, Naganu's home country, if he didn't uh, throw the fight. But, you know, that's out there. That's out there. Uh, that yeah, I sa- mean, sounds legit. 
I mean, it's the sort of thing where it's really easy to underestimate Ngannou after that fight. He was a plus 185 after um, for this fight. He was a plus 185 against the guy he's beaten before, against a guy that's gotten hurt in his last two, and against a guy that was pretty much neutralized in wrestling by, um, what's his name? Uh, oatmeal hand truck is what one of my boys call him. But uh, that was a really, his really bad fight at UFC 213. Curtis Blades didn't look unbeatable. And I had very, I didn't, I had some doubt, obviously, because Ngannou was really bad on the ground against Stipe, but I didn't think that Blades could survive an uninhibited Ngannou for very long. Yeah, you picked it a lot better than I did, I can tell you that. So, um, moving along to the first card of the weekend, UFC Beijing was, uh, you know, there was actually, a, a lot, looks like the, a lot of good uh, good finishes on the early fights, a lot of submissions, I like submissions a lot, but I'll have to go back and catch those fights when I have a little more time, but we're going to move things along to the, the Ultimate Fighter finale going down this Friday night from Las Vegas, Nevada at 10 p.m. on, I believe, Fox Sports 1 for this one. Uh, I believe there is 11 fights for this, but am I am I wrong in saying that one is not announced yet? Or is that, like, I feel like one, they're waiting for a, the, the tough episode to air probably right now. And uh, I think that after that, one more fight will be announced, but I'm not sure. I think, uh, but right now, we have 10 fights on this card. And uh, do you know about that, uh, Srirama, about the, the 11th fight? Yeah, nine fights show up on the UFC website, but there's the actual The Ultimate Fighter finale is at heavyweight and women's featherweight, and I wish that I really regretted them not being announced, but The Ultimate Fighter has been a bust for a very long time. So, I mean, there's enough interesting matchups on this one that we can kind of... Yeah, I, I imagine that there's the the featherweight fight is tonight. I believe the heavyweight fight is set, and the the we'll have, probably have one more fight to go over uh, tomorrow or something. But I probably won't pay any attention to that. Moving along to the first fight of the evening, we have Heoni Barcelos who is taking on Chris Gutierrez. But Barcelos is twelve and one. Uh, Chris Gutierrez making his UFC debut is twelve two and one. Now, for the betting line that we have on this one, Honey Barcelos opened up as a minus 245 favorite. Chris Gutierrez at plus uh, 175. Now, people betting down Barcelos a lot. This one all the way down to minus 475. And uh, Gutierrez up to plus 380. I, I honestly agree with this line movement. Barcelos is a killer. He's beaten uh, you know UFC level guys before. He uh, you know especially his last fight with Kurt Hollabach was you know a really really impressive knockout in that one. Uh, he also has wins over uh, Bobby Moffitt and uh, Dan Rep. That that Bobby Moffitt win looks a lot nicer now that he's uh, coming to the UFC himself and gotten that win over Chas Kelly. So uh, and Chris Gutierrez, you know, very very little footage on him unfortunately. Uh, he's fought uh, you know an LFA who doesn't really release their fights. They release like snippets and highlights, two minute highlights or something. Hard to get a good feel from that, and uh, you know a lot of a lot of random promotions here and there. So, so not really much tape on him. So I'm kind of, you know, I guess underestimating him a little bit because I haven't seen too much. But I really expect Barcelos to get this one done. Yeah, I agree. I don't think the line is as, I don't think, I wouldn't cap it as wide as it is. But that's mostly because I don't generally cap fights at minus 475 plus 380. 
generally, I think fights are a lot more volatile than that. But, I mean, it makes sense considering Barcelo's got a legitimately impressive knockout last time. And unless I'm mistaken, Gutierrez is a debutante, so I don't expect people to have too much footage. Barcelo should get this one done. If there's value, it's probably going to be Barcelo's inside distance, but that's still at minus 125. So uh, the expectation here is for Barcelos to get it done and get it done impressively. Yeah, I would love to see it. I actually uh, threw him in a parlay, I believe, with two other like minus 400 favorites. I believe Tyson Pedro is one, and then um, I wonder who the last one is. Um, let me think. Uh, is is Magalov, uh, Demir, whatever that guy's name is. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm uh, counting on Brussels to get this one done. Next, I fight. mean, it's weird. Go my ahead. parlays have hit, but I've never really gone all in on them. It's like my last few parlays have hit actually, but I'm just never really confident enough to actually go for parlays consistently. Yeah, I was thinking about. I mean. They are kind of, you know, pseudoscience a little bit. They, you, you think you're getting a little more money than you are. But uh, they're, they're still I mean, fun. If I'm going to go for parlays, it's probably just going to be like uh, 20 legs of fight is not a draw yeah. so that I can get plus odds. Oh, I see. Yeah, well, I was about to say, we should do a, a parlay with all 23 picks for this weekend. Um, <laughs> the only one I'm comfortable making there is legitimately just fight is not a draw. <laughs> I guess they would all stack all up, them. theoretically. I don't know if you could do that, though. 23 legs. In a yeah, part. they're they're all minus 25,000 or approximately. <laughs> and um, if you add them all up, and I'm actually trying to work that out now because that would be hilarious. But um, I'm adding them all up now, and you actually get uh, closer and closer to minus 1,000, which I guess is value, but not really. <laughs> If there's one draw, you're fucked. Um, I bet you the, the five diamonds would limit you if you actually got close to plus money. Um, but uh, moving along to the 170-pound welterweight division, we have Tim Means, who is 27-10-1, taking on Ricky Rainey, who is 13-5. The betting line for this one opened up Tim Means as the favorite at minus 185, Ricky Rainey as the underdog at plus 145 and people are trusting tim means all the way down to minus 370 in this one ricky rainey shooting up to plus 310 i don't really know if i agree with this one um i think that uh tim means is uh the better fighter and he should be favored in this one but he's not very consistent he's been known to shit the bed from time to time uh you know ricky rainey obviously is not not that great either he uh you know lost his last fight to sultan aliyev uh, I believe is the gentleman's name. Um, I could be wrong. Let me double check. No, it was Muslim Salikov. I'm mixing up my Russians here. Um, Muslim Salikov knocked him out with a pretty, uh, pretty nice punch in that one. That was his only UFC fight so far. But uh, you know, he doesn't look you know terrible. He's a you know a competent enough striker, and Tim Means is you know also a good striker of his own right. But uh, I could see Ricky Rainey possibly clipping Tim Means in this one and getting the finish, but uh, I would honestly cap Tim Means more around minus 200. So I guess that means there's value on Rainey. Yeah, I'm feeling about the same way. I don't really feel strongly about Tim Means one way or the other. I remember he lost the decisions to Sergio Moraes that everyone was crying robbery, but I didn't actually feel strongly about that one either. I mean, it was probably a bad one, but I didn't feel strongly about it because I figured it was Brazil and Sergio Moraes was swinging his heart out he had the will if not the skill but uh he's 
very good and uh Ricky Rainey has not proven to be that good considering I mean uh the Salikov loss wasn't that bad Salikov's a legit Sanda practitioner uh, I think he's been a champion in that sport and it's uh it's pretty legit but he and he also popped uh, under USADA if I'm not mistaken so Rainey deserves the second shot but Tim Means is a tough opponent for him I might put like half a unit on Rainey but I don't. I'm not sure. He's a plus three ten. Might be worth a stab if means, just you know, doesn't show the sort of urgency that he failed to show at um, at the Marais fight. I think it, yeah, very possible that he could pull this one off. Honestly, it's uh, will probably be a. a uh, I don't think there'll be live betting for this fight actually, unfortunately. But I would say it actually could be a good live betting spot. Um, moving along to. Uh, the lightweight division we have roosevelt roberts who is six and oh making his ufc debut taking on daryl horcher who is 13 and three uh, the betting line for this one opened up roosevelt roberts at minus 185 to daryl horcher at plus 145 people betting down the debuting fighter roosevelt roberts to minus 320 daryl horcher is up to plus 260 uh, again, I don't know if I fully agree with this one. I think Roosevelt Roberts should be the favorite, but uh, you know, making his UFC debut, he's uh, he's fought decent competition, so I'll give that to him. He's got also a good amount of amateur experience. He looks like a great grappler. You know, he took uh, on the uh, Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series. He took his dude down, choked him out. Really had go good uh, takedowns, good top control in that fight. Uh, I don't think there's anything too too special about his striking, and um, you know Daryl Horcher, I believe, is a wrestler of his own right, and I imagine that if he tries to take the uh, fight to the ground, Roosevelt's uh, ground game will probably like negate it out. I believe, so um, you know it's uh, it's it's obviously uh, Roosevelt's fight to win. He's coming in here making his debut. Horcher is uh, one and two in the UFC. He'll probably get cut if he loses. His only win is a split decision over Devin Powell, which is not very impressive. So I think that uh, Roosevelt Roberts will get this one done. But uh, man, the price tag on Daryl Horcher, I, I don't, I definitely don't uh, diss any plays on uh, the the that three to one odds on Horcher. Uh, I mean, I would. Even if uh, Robert should be a favorite, it should be closer to like minus 150. This is just the classic Dana White Tuesday Night Contenders hype machine. We're seeing it also in the um, in the main card. But I don't think Roosevelt Roberts has proven enough to be a minus 320 against a pretty UFC-tested guy in Daryl Horcher. I mean, Horcher didn't have a, close to a great performance against Khabib Nurmagomedov, but he fought Khabib. He fought Khabib. Uh, and he fought Powell, and he has a couple of decent performances uh, sprinkled in the UFC that weren't all wins, but they're decent performances. And I think that's enough to say that he's worth the play at plus 260. Neither of them have a particularly refined game, but I can't really justify the pricing on Roosevelt Roberts, not even close. No, right with you there. So uh, moving along to RIP, the flyweight division, uh, Joseph Benavidez, who is 25 and 5, taking on Alex Perez, who is 21 and 4. Man, I believe this is going to be one of the best fights all weekend for sure. I think it's in my uh, my top three most anticipated fights for sure. Um, we have Joseph Benavidez opened up as the minus 195 favorite. Alex Perez all the way up to plus 155. The line has since flipped. And we now have uh, Joseph Benavidez at plus 110, Alex Perez at minus 130. 
So uh, go ahead and give me your thoughts on this one first, Shiro. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if that was a line error just because their last fights were so different. But, I mean, it's it makes sense to start out to say that Joseph Benavidez is the favorite, but he also looked really, really bad against Sergio Pettis as long as Sergio Pettis wasn't actively willing to let Benavidez back into the fight and grind out what could have been a win for him. But uh, Alex Perez is... Um, Impressive. Alex Perez is absolutely awesome. He's probably, after uh, Davison Figueredo, he's my favorite flyweight to watch. And his performance against Shorty Torres was just, he uh, just destroyed that man. And Shorty Torres isn't great. He was losing against um, Monkey God before the meme slam. But just cut through that man. And um, and he has, he had a Darce joke against Carl John de Thomas, I believe. That was also pretty impressive. So Alex has a well-rounded talent, and I think he should take out a pretty clearly physically declining Joseph Benavides here. Uh, I think I'm going to go on the contrary to you. I do agree with some points. Uh, Perez is one of my favorite flyweights. Like you said, that last per uh, performance against Punching Bag Torres was just, you know, limiting 96 punches in one, in one round, I think, he landed. Uh, or some insane statistic like that. So that uh, you know that made me a fan of him for sure. I also think he's got a, a background in wrestling. So the dude is very well rounded. But man, I, I'm gonna disagree with uh, Joseph Benavidez. Man, he he shocked me. Although he was uh, dropped by. Um, Sergio Pettis in their last fight, I think he recovered really, really well, and I think he might have uh, won the latter rounds. And uh, you know uh, that fight was split, and uh, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna pull up my trusty uh, my trusty MMA Decisions .com, one of your favorite websites on the internet, and uh, check check out the uh, the scorecards from uh, all of our friends and media uh, for this uh, last Benavidez fight. Uh, I remember being really close. Uh, Let's see here. Um, we got about half and half of the media saying it's, uh, you know, 29-28 either side. But uh, actually, most of the fans agree that Benavidez won that. But, uh, you know, who, what do those guys know? But I'll have to go back and rewatch that one. Cause, what are uh, the media now? <laughs> <laughs> right? Where are their credentials? Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think it's going to be close. Uh, this one, it all it all depends on if, if Joe Benavidez can stop Alex Pre uh, Perez's pressure. If he can, you know, back him up with some punches, uh, hard punches of his own before Benavidez, you know, or before Perez gets his tempo up and uh, starts, you know, using that volume, putting the pressure on him. I, I can see Benavidez, I don't, wilting, but... You know, he would have to hit, hurt him with a punch and just keep that pressure on him. It's, it's going to be hard to do. It's going to be a lot harder to do than uh, Shorty Torres. So uh, I'm, I'm I mean, going to uh, go ahead. Uh, first of all, uh, this MMA decisions thing, it's pretty surprising that no one had a 10-8 for round one for Pettis. It's all 10-9s, which is actually pretty shocking to me because I thought it was a pretty obvious 10-8. Pettis had him almost finished. Benavides was done. But I also think that fight makes it easier for... Um, it's clear that it's going to be fairly easy for Perez to uh, start fast. Perez started super, super, super fast against uh, Shorty Torres. And Benavides is a lot better than Shorty Torres in pretty much every aspect. But he also looked really rusty against uh, Sergio Pettis. And he might have shaken that off during the fight. We don't know. But we also don't know that it could, uh, that it isn't just a symptom of physical decline, that he has to take some time to warm up into the fight, to read his opponent's timing, and he can't just get into it like he used to. 
So I think the Pettis fight just kind of helps the um, the impression that Perez might just buzz saw him early. Yeah, that's that's an entirely uh, plausible scenario. But uh, I honestly, when I saw Perez open up as the dog, I. Uh... I, I wish I, I placed some money on him, but honestly, after thinking about it, I actually decided to uh, place a unit on uh, Joseph Benavidez as the dog. So uh, I, I think it's going to be a tough fight, but I think that his uh, his uh, fight IQ and um, just like you know he, how well he adapts in fights is going to be a big factor in this one. Uh, obviously, in round round one, I would probably uh, you know favor Perez, but as the fight goes longer, I think that Benavidez uh, will uh, take this one over, possibly win the decision, and uh, probably look to live at this one. Yeah, I think uh, I have a little bit on Benavidez at dog odds, just because I think that there's a decent chance that the Shorty Torres fight doesn't entirely capture how um, Perez would do against. A guy better on the feet. Uh, both guys seem relatively even wrestling-wise. Perez has a pretty underrated wrestling game that's um, that's been gushed about by my boys on Twitter. But uh, and Benavides has always been a very, very strong scrambler and grappler. So that could be a fun area for the fight to go. But if it stays on the feet, it's hard not to favor Alex Perez. It's just that there's obviously some doubt there. This is a very, very, very interesting fight. Yep, like we said, looking forward to this one a lot. And the next fight, another uh, good fight uh, for different reasons, uh, not competitive-wise. Uh, we have the in the featherweight division, we have Rick Len, who is 21-5, and five, taking on Kevin Aguilar, who is 15-1. The betting line for this one opened up as Rick Len as the un- underdog at plus 125, Kevin Aguilar making his UFC debut at plus 165. The betting line is since... Uh, they're about pick them right now. Kevin Aguilar minus one fifteen, Rick Glenn at minus one oh five. Uh, I agree with the where the line sits at currently. I uh, have a little bit of play on Rick Glenn at plus money. Uh, it you know Rick Glenn he's a he's a grindy fighter. He's got a little bit of wrestling, a little bit of striking, and I think he can he uses that well and to, to you know squeak out decisions. His last one, uh, who was that against? Um, do you remember? Uh, for Rick Glenn, it was Dennis Bermudez, right? In yeah, Boise. oh, that's right. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Uh, you know, he toughed out a decision in that one. Uh, we'll have to check the MMA decisions to see what the, the people were thinking on that one. But <laughs> the funniest part about that fight is when Dennis Bermudez was about to go up to the microphone to say something after losing his, like, third split decision in a row. And he just wa- <laughs> he just opened his mouth and then turned around and walked away. Like, ah, I don't even want to say it. Um but uh, Kevin Aguilar, man, this dude, I watched his him on tape, man. This guy looks terrible. He's look, He's got no takedown defense. He doesn't know how to get up off his back. His striking looks awkward. Uh, there's just nothing nothing really good to say about him. So just based on that alone, I'm going to go with the guy who's tested in the UFC, who uh, you know picked up a, one, probably the best win of his career in, in his last fight, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to side with Rick Glenn in this one. Uh, what do you think is in true, Ron? Uh, first of all, uh, there's some interesting oddities about this fight. First of all, the line movement. Uh, Rick Glenn started out at plus 125. Someone bet big and pushed him into pretty deep minus territory. And then someone bet big on Aguilar to push him back up into the plus territory. I'm going to meet that and guy. And second of all... That, yeah. that guy who bet it's... on Aguilar. What, 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 what kind of drugs is he doing? Uh, That's go hilarious. Ahead, go ahead, finish. But... Um, and also, this fight was originally Arnold Allen versus Gilbert Melendez. 
and then Melendez fell out, and then Glenn uh, filled in, and then Allen fell out, and then Aguilar filled in. So this fight wasn't actually even meant to be on the card, and the short notice kind of gives me pause for both guys. I think Rick Glenn is one of those really underrated sort of archetypes. He's uh, he's a real grinder. I thought he won the Bermudez fight. Bermudez has run into some bad luck with split decisions. I thought he won the Feely fight, but I didn't think he uh, won the Glenn fight. And Glenn actually has one of the most impressive performances in years at, uh, I believe, UFC 215 against Glenn Tucker, uh, not Glenn Tucker, Gavin Tucker. Gavin Tucker, uh, who just got beat the fuck up for three rounds straight. Uh, and, you know, Rick Glenn just showed kind of a level difference there. So I think Rick Glenn is the kind of fighter to make this look perhaps like a minus 500, minus 600 fight if it goes his way. I don't think Aguilar is particularly great. I don't think he's straight up bad, but I don't think he's great. And I think the value is squarely on Rick Glenn here. Nice. Did you uh, get any action on him on plus money? Uh, yeah, plus one twenty. I put in uh, one unit. I don't generally bet big, like, unit-wise, but uh, at plus money, Rick Glenn was kind of a, you know, really, really easy bet to make. Yeah, um, I, I wouldn't get ca- caught up on units, like, unit size. I mean, I was pretty much, I'm so much more consistent when I'm betting the same one unit, one unit, one unit, one unit, instead of varying and saying I'm going to do uh, 1.5 here, 0.5 here, 2 here. It's I don't know, it's too much to think about. If you just do like a standard size, it's way, it's way better in my opinion. But uh, Yeah, I, I generally just do like half units on like throwaway props. And I went really big on David Branch at UFC 230, and then he ended up killing me. So I just started to go like 2, 2, and I went 5 on Daryush, But past that, I've just gone 1 and 2. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I hit Cannonier uh, live in that one. Again, I know his name is Cannonier, but it sounds cool if you say it British. Cannonier. Uh, one of my friends from the Switch Kick podcast started saying Cannonier, and I'm going with it. So, uh, moving along to the next fight on this card, we have uh, Antonio, Antonia, I guess. Antonina? I don't know how to say her first name. The. I guess Antonina Shevchenko, who is six and zero, taking on Ji Yun Kim, who is eight one and two. The betting line for this one opened up, and and Shevchenko opened up minus three eighty five. Ji Yun Kim at plus two sixty five. Uh, first fight where I think the line margin. Oh no, second fight where the uh, line margins have tightened up a little bit. Where. Uh, Antonio Shevchenko is minus 310, and uh, Gion Kim is plus 255. So people betting on Kim a little bit in this one. Uh, I uh, I don't knock it, because, you know, Shevchenko is primarily a striker. She doesn't have much MMA experience. She might be bring, being brought in on, you know, nepotism because her sister is uh, fighting for the UFC belt. Um, and, you know, Gion Kim has been in there before. She's, you know, had some UFC wins. She didn't look good in them. She did not look good in them. But, uh, you know, that's still that's still a big factor. She can, you know, she has the ability to possibly grind out a decision like she did against uh, Justine Kish a little while ago. But um, I, I don't know. I don't, uh, the picking this one, I think that uh, Shevchenko will probably uh, butcher her on the feet. I don't think Kim really has the, the grappling to make this one ugly and, you know, gain top control and win rounds. I really don't think that's even in her repertoire. So uh, I'm going to pick Shevchenko. I think she might finish her, honestly. I think if her Muay Thai gets going, I really don't see how Kim's going to stand in there for 15 minutes. Yeah, I'm on fight doesn't go the distance for this one, but I favor Shevchenko fairly heavily. Uh, Shevchenko's performance on Dana White's Contender Series was actually very, very, very impressive, enough to 
actually justify this line. This isn't just the sort of raw hype that guys like Tay Edwards had. It was a very, very um, systematic dismantling. She punched off kicks. She looked very, very long. She looked uh, very, very good takedown defense-wise. And her clinch game was probably the best I've seen in the flyweight division so far. I mean, Valentina Shevchenko has a very legitimate, uh, has a legitimately good clinch game, but she doesn't hunt the clinch like the end, like the elder Shevchenko does. I think it's one of the most unique game plans when it comes to women's MMA, and Shevchenko definitely has the frame for it. She's very tall, and when uh, Jamie Navarro tried to shoot out the tie clinch, uh, Shevchenko just totally overpowered her. Shevchenko looked uh, a lot better from the outside and just hunted that double collar tie and kick the crap out of her. I don't rate G on Kim very highly at all. She's won two splits in a row and on the tape I've seen of her, she has a decent right hand, I suppose, but like her um she's a low level uh women's flyweight and I don't really think that she stands much of a chance against Antonina Shevchenko. The pricing isn't good for Shevchenko, but I guess Shevchenko uh ITD is at plus four thirty five. So that's worth a stab. Yep, I just I just bet on that as we were talking. Um, yeah, man, I Jiyun Kim. I, I, did you actually watch some of her fights like this past week? Like you sat down and watched the whole fifteen minutes. Not no, not fifteen minutes. I um. You you, you killed yourself halfway her through, right? Record. I looked up her record and then I realized that these aren't fights that I really want to watch. Hmm. So I um I went on to like you know how Sherdog kind of compiled the Twitter highlights. I saw the Twitter highlights. And, uh, and then I saw, like, some parts of her fight where, she, where it wasn't purely highlights. Even her highlights weren't particularly impressive, and they were against, um, who was it, Justine Kish and someone else. So I don't really see much to say that this isn't anything but a fairly obvious debut fight for one of the more promising flyweights in the UFC. This is a nepotism. This is um, a very, very real contender, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Uh, even though, I mean, six fights. Uh, it says she's from South Korea, but that's not. That's definitely not right. They definitely have these flipped on uh, topology as I'm looking. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, Lord have mercy on you if you actually would have watched one of Ji Young Kim's fights for tape. I mean, just whew. Um, that's enough of this fight. It's uh, it's gone too long already. Sorry, Ji Young Kim. I know you're listening. Um, we have on the middleweight division, uh, Edmund Shabazab Shabazab. Shabazian, man. Um, you have any idea how to pronounce that? I just say Shabazian. Shab- I just say Shabazian. Oh, damn. You got it down. Shabazian. Um, I should have let you take the lead with this one. It's taking on Darren Stewart, who is 9-3. and three. Uh, Shabazian is 7-0, and oh, making his UFC debut in this one. Uh, Darren Stewart has uh, had a few UFC fights of his own, checking out the betting line for this one. Opened up at Darren Stewart minus one ten, uh, Edmund at minus one thirty as a, a slight favorite. Uh, pretty shocked by this line. It's it's tightened up even a little more. Uh, still around a pick'em fight minus one hundred five, minus one fifteen. I I uh, got a little action in on Darren Stewart of plus money. I, I really can't can uh, help myself. I I, didn't, I thought that uh, well who was it Charles Bird that he fought last? I thought. Bird was gonna yeah. expose him. Yeah, yeah, Charles Bird. But man, uh, he he ate all of Bird's shots. He you know he was, the, he was still standing after Bird you know blew his load and he he showed his experience, <laughs> and he uh, you know knocked him the fuck out in the second round. So man, he did the same thing with Spicely. Let him like, absorbed all that punishment, and knocked him out in the second round. You know what I think is gonna happen? I think Edmund is gonna come out looking good. Ten nine in the first round. Stewart's gonna knock him out in the second and third. Um, 
Edmund is still a little bit raw. I mean, his his striking looks it looks good, but you know, seven fights, you know, his competition just br- absolutely brutal. His fight before he got on the contender series, he beat a guy who was seventeen and thirty eight. Like, you know, and then uh, zero and zero, one and four, zero oh and one, zero oh and zero, oh, three and two. Uh, you know, there's no, there's no. Uh, I don't understand how this guy got a contract, honestly. But th- there's a couple guys like that on these cards. You know, there always is. But who knows? They, they they can shock us sometimes. Sometimes they look they look super improved in between fights. But man, I think that Darren Stewart is uh you know an excellent brawler. I think he's gonna de- drag this guy into the deep and murky waters. And uh, Darren Stewart's gonna be the pick to get this one done. Uh, yeah, I actually legitimately like Darren Stewart. He's um, he's kind of in a never-ending hell of facing Dana White contender series guys. Like four of his last five or something crazy like that. It's been contender series guys. He faced um, Julian Marquez. He faced Carl Robertson. He faced Bird. And now he's facing Shabazian. So he's kind of turned into the gatekeeper in that sense for middleweight. But he's looked very good in three of those contests. The loss against Marquez was a very, very good fight. And um, Spicely, okay, he didn't look great against Bird, but the fact that he was able to steal that win uh, with that nice elbow out of the clinch was um, something that really told me that Stewart is a little bit craftier than I expected. I mean, he obviously has big power in his hands. He's uh, explosive. He's He has um, a surprising amount of athleticism for a mid-level middleweight. He, um, he has a lot of things that make you think that he can – beat a guy like Edmund Shabazian who just came in and traded with um, his opponent. What's his name? Jones. He came in and traded with Jones just frantically for the first 40 seconds until Jones went down. I don't think Shabazian has the head movement, despite being a pupil of the great Edmund, (laughs) to actually beat a guy like Stewart in the trade. I simply don't. Stewart has a chin. Stewart can keep a pace. Stewart is probably craftier and probably a fair bit more powerful. Unless Shabazzian shows some legitimate skills here, I don't think that what he showed on the Contender Series will be close to enough. Are you implying that GFC fighters do not have good head movement? No, he obviously has good head movement, just (laughs) in the wrong ways. His head moves from upright to the floor. Yeah, I was making a joke about it, uh, Rhonda. If you didn't pick up on the slash S. Yeah, I did. I did. (laughs) So, um, uh, moving along uh, to the bantamweight division, we have Pedro Munoz, who is sixteen and three, taking on Brian Caraway, who is twenty-one and eight, and we have for the betting line at this one, Pedro Munoz opened up minus two seventy-five. Brian Caraway opened plus one ninety-five. Best fight odds has this line flipped. Man, these guys constantly have wrong lines on their their website. It's kind of it's kind of upsetting. Um, but uh, so uh, it, it has Munoz opening up as two to one underdog, which is not true. Um, Munoz, uh, I'm, you know, I think he's uh, he's going to get this one done. He's you know a good point fighting, uh, you know. MMA fighter, I guess. Uh, I don't. I don't know. He's not. He doesn't really, yeah, uh, get it up for me. Honestly, I don't think he's really that good. But uh, Brian Caraway stinks. He's way past his prime, and uh, I, you know, I wouldn't bet on either of these guys. Honestly, I think this fight is just. Ugh, it, it just doesn't excite me at all. Uh, I don't know how you feel about it. Uh, I actually legitimately like Pedro Munoz as a fighter. He's a little bit. 
um, he's kind of like Ricardo Lamas in the sense that if he doesn't get a finish, he doesn't look good at all. Most of his skills are geared towards getting a finish, and last time he sort of threw away a couple of easy KO opportunities to jump that guillotine. But, I mean, he's a... He looked like a legitimately good kicker against Brian, uh, against uh, Brett Johns, rather. He has an idea of what he wants to do on the feet, and Caraway just kind of looked like a very, very slow version of um, of Dominic Cruz on the feet, in the sense that not his footwork, but just his strikes, just long, looping, not coming from like unexpected angles like Cruz's does, but just very, very sad. So I don't think Caraway really has skill set to challenge Pedro Munoz that much and I think Munoz should pick this one up fairly handily probably by guillotine uh, I think the grappling exchanges in this one are going to be really fun because Caraway looked like a legitimately good grappler against um what's his name Cody Stamen he looked like a great grappler against Cody Stamen uh you know just floating through positions and through submissions but I think Pedro Munoz can hang where Caraway can thrive and I don't think the opposite is true yeah, Pedro Munoz has uh, one of the best guillotines in MMA for sure. He's one of the only guys who jumps guillotine and actually has a chance at finishing it. It's incredible how many people try that move and have absolutely zero shot of getting it and just end up on their backs and lose position. Um, so uh, with that being said, we're going to move on to the heavyweight finale fight in the heavyweight division. <laughs> we have Justin Frazier, who is 10-2, and taking on Juan Espino, who is eight and one, uh, for the betting line opening up for this one, we have Juan Espino as the plus one thirty underdog. Justin Frazier at minus one seventy. Now, uh, since then the line has flipped. Uh, Juan Espino is now minus one fifty five. Justin Frazier is plus one thirty five. So uh, I did not actually really study these guys too much. Uh, from what I heard, people are saying that uh, Espino, I think. Tra- uh, trains at ATT. He's uh, got good boxing, and uh, I don't know. Uh, people are saying that Frazier's just a fat guy who's not very impressive. Uh, I don't know if you have any opinion on this one. Or you studied it much, but this was the one fight I don't think I really have a clue about. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's heavyweight. Bet on the underdog. That's what you do with heavyweight because heavyweight's really really bad at this point. And the Ultimate Fighter has. Uh, I don't think it's really declined in the sense that you can't really control what sort of talent comes out of it, but the two divisions they picked for this one, absolutely horrid. Like, if you're going to pick heavyweight and uh, women's featherweight, you need to do them in two separate um, seasons, where they're at least carried by an actually deep division. This time, they just put two of the worst divisions, probably the, the two worst divisions in the UFC, with the least amount of talent, smashed them together into one season and relied on the personality of a mild mal- of a mild-mannered Australian and a Mexican who misses weight all the time to carry the show. So I don't really think that this whole thing, this kind of turned into a, the Ultimate Fighter rant, and I guess I'm fine with that because the Ultimate Fighter is something that I will rail against to my dying days, but I don't really care about this fight at all. Yeah, when I was saying that that bit about the who trains the ATT, honestly, I have no idea which one which one they're talking about. <laughs> um, so I guess I was just talking out of my ass on that one. But uh, beside the point, we got a hell of a main event on docket in the welterweight division. We have Rafael dos Anjos, who is twenty eight and ten, taking on Kamaru Usman, who is thirteen and one. The betting line for this one opened up at 
Rafael dos Santos plus 165, Camaro Usman at minus 215. Uh, people are somehow betting down Camaro Usman down to minus 265. Rafael dos Santos is up to plus 225. And even though Sriram was on the program a couple more weeks ago, or a couple weeks ago, I decided to bring him back for this very specific reason. The man is the biggest Rafael dos Santos fan I. Uh, not no, but one of the biggest, uh, probably in the world, uh, biggest Rafael De, Dos Anjos fan. So, I'll let you give me give us your take on this fight. Uh, I mean, I don't know how you can't be an RDA fan. I mean, he's if you're not an RDA fan, you're biased against good fighting. I think that's all there is to it. Uh, Dos Anjos, he used to be very middling. He got knocked out by Jeremy Stevens, of all people. And uh, he turned into one of the, in my opinion, he's a top 10 fighter of all time. I don't think there's any question. I'd put him ahead of Anderson Silva. And that's not just me being biased. That's him going through a legitimately good, dis that's that's him going through a legitimately good division while Silva was busy outstriking Forrest Griffin. So uh, Rafael Dos Anjos is at plus 225 here. And I'm going to be honest, I take Rafael Dos Anjos at plus 225 against any lightweight welterweight on the planet, literally any one of them, it wouldn't matter one bit. Because Dos Anjos, he's one of the most taxing people to fight on the planet. I think that's really become his biggest skill set in the last um, few years when he made his title run. Rafael Dos Anjos, he isn't an easy man to fight even when you're beating him. Khabib Nurmagomedov was able to take down and control Rafael Dos Anjos, but he did not have an easy time of it. Colby Covington tried to take down and control Rafael Dos Anjos in every big shot of the fight, got shit on in the clinch, got shit on at distance, and won because the judges don't know what they're looking at. And Rafael Dos Anjos lost to uh, Tony Ferguson, who puts a hell of a pace on you. So it's very, very impressive to beat Rafael Dos Anjos via controlling him. It's very, very impressive to beat Rafael Dos Anjos over the distance. And I don't think Kamaru Usman has what it takes. Even at evens, I would take Rafael Dos Anjos here because Kamaru Usman, he's been impressive, but not really to the extent, like his fights are very low pace. He didn't really take advantage of Maya being as bad on the feet as I expected him to, being a powerful guy who can swing bombs like he did against another jiu-jitsu ace in uh, Sergio Moraes. So... I think um, this fight's going to be one of those where you have to be really patient to see how it plays out because especially a welterweight, Dos Anjos is an attrition artist. Um, and Usman is going to you know, try to stall in the clinch as much as he can, having seen the judges give Colby Covington all the credit in the world for eating clinch shots but still staying the one not against the fence. But I don't think Usman can keep the pace up like Colby Covington did. I'm guessing uh, round five, Dos Anjos, KO... Um, and he beats up Tyron Woodley without any trouble at all in his next fight. Interesting. Some good points. Some some I would disagree with. A couple questions. Were, did did you start betting when uh, Dos Anjos fought Covington? Uh, no, I didn't actually. I didn't bet on that fight because I figured, and that's actually one thing for this one. I might just hit um, Dos Anjos' decision or Dos Anjos inside the distance because we all know if Usman is making it to decision, it's going to be on a good deal of clinch holding. And if Usman gets a good deal of clinch holding, it's going to be Usman the winner, regardless of how much damage he takes. Even though you disagree with that. I mean, yeah, you have to. If you've read the judging criteria, you have to disagree with that. But that's simply how the judges operate. They're, you know, buffoons. You don't think they, they score by the criteria, you mean? 
Uh, they don't. They objectively do not. There are a couple exceptions. There's um, Figueredo Brooks. There's Dvalish Release Signs. There's um, Batelio uh, Pearl Gonzalez that passed a couple of exceptions. They unequivocally do not score by the criteria. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah, there there are a lot of factors because there's different rule sets. There's not there's not a unified rules. There's different commissions. There's different people instructing these people. Uh, they have different you know, and and obviously the the biggest factor of all is that scoring rounds is objective. Uh, you know, two you know boxing is is a prime example. You know, the, there are a lot of rounds that probably go back and forth just based on the judges preference of you know whether they like uh big punches or they like output or they like jabs or they like hooks or whatnot but it's it's super super complicating it's it's a never-ending decision or a never-ending discussion honestly uh, a couple of points uh sergio Marais, when uh kamara usman knocked out sergio Marais, that was one of the biggest like flukes uh you know in the ufc the dude's got like seven what seven or eight decisions in the ufc and then, and that one knockout, uh, man, he got so lucky with that. Um, but regardless, that was you know a nice punch. Um, and then in terms yeah, of Usman just doesn't get a shit about finishing. Yeah, yeah, he's he's so boring. Uh, oh yeah, I remember to tell you about this uh, Usman story. Uh, so I was uh, I went to the UFC uh, Brooklyn and I went to the the press conference the day before and they had like the main event for the next you know ten cards. I think Usman was supposed to fight Ponzinibbio, but I think that fight ended up getting canceled and Maya replaced him. But uh, I remember when somebody asked Kamara Usman a question. Uh, I, I, I screamed out as loud as I could, 30%, and uh, I don't think anybody heard me or understood the joke. Um, but, uh, you know, of course, you I know. I mean, go ahead. It's uh, Kamaru Usman, he just irks me. His style irks me. Like, I can appreciate good wrestling, but when it's totally control oriented, you kind of have to question how confident he is in, in his own wrestling, if that makes sense, in the sense that. If all your energy is going to be expended on doing exactly zero damage and doing exactly nothing that scores if your opponent, like, cracks you with one thing, then you really do depend on the judges not knowing what they're looking at. And that's the sort of fight that I dislike seeing. So he beat Emil Meek fairly decisively. He's won most of his fights fairly decisively. I expect that if he wins this one, it won't be as decisive because Dos Anjos is just the kind of fighter that even if he loses this one, like by the judges say, even if he loses this one, it's likely to be that he deals more damage just because Usman is just so wooden on the feet. He's not very good at all, in my opinion, as a striker. And the best way Usman wins is if Dos Anjos is just absolutely athletically overwhelmed, but I don't think that's a very high likelihood either. Yeah, the only way that uh, I think uh, Dos Anjos loses is if um, Usman decides to, uh, you know, ramp up his uh, output and his pace and his cardio um, and, you know, replicate the same the same game plan that Khabib and uh, uh, Covington implemented. I don't think that um, I don't think that some of the stuff you said about Rafael dos Santos is entirely accurate, especially him being a top ten fighter of all time. I would probably wouldn't even say top fifty, but he's he's good. I like the dude a lot. Oh, who'd you put, who, how, how could you put fifty people ahead of Rafael dos Santos? Uh, I could I could just think think of a lot, uh, just a lot. Maybe maybe thirty, maybe thirty. I'll I'll uh, right. I'll, I'll give him a look. Who? 
All 29 of them I, mean, I have to name? Go for someone. Go for some. Like, who do you think is better than Rafael Dos Anjos that is I not think, I th- um, I Aldo, think, Jones, GSP? I think Matt Hughes is was better than uh, Rafael. I mean, the dude is the dude is very well-rounded. I like him a lot. Like, his... But uh, I don't know. I, I I definitely think that he lost the Colby Covington fight. You know, we we talked about this for 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 eons. Um, you know, I scored. That is objectively incorrect. Objectively, yes, yes. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, he uh, he did. It, the fight was was closer than than I than I seen the first time. Uh, I remember the first time I was sure sure that Covington won the decision, maybe forty nine forty six. Thought it was a little closer than that. I ended up scoring at forty nine forty seven after all after all things said and done. Um, but you know, it, he he just looked he he didn't look. You know, the big thing about uh, judging fights is just composure, and he looked like he was, like, fighting off the loss the entire fight. From after the first takedown, he looked, you know, pretty overwhelmed. He, he was against the cage the entire time. He, you know, didn't really have good posture. He wasn't throwing a lot of, like, uh, well-balanced strikes. It was just, you know, clinch strikes went here and there when he could. Uh, and I think that Co- Covington, you know, hung in there in the kickboxing exchanges too a lot better than we thought that we would. We thought that uh, Dos Anjos would dish out a lot more punishment. But man, after Covington was hold was you know was using uh, all the gas in Dos Anjos' arms, stuffing takedowns for the first couple rounds, then those latter rounds were a lot closer in the kickboxing than we expected. So. And I honestly think that that's 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 a huge factor here. I I, I like to I like to think that uh, Dusan just will get that late round knockout, uh, three four five. But man, uh, I, if Usman hangs on him just like he just like he does in all of his fights, man, it's gonna be tough for uh, it's gonna be tough for Dosan just to have that gas left in the tank to score that knockout late. So honestly, I like to think that if Dosan just gets a knockout, he pro- um, hopefully sparks him in one. Um, but you know, that, that's just too ideal. You know, it's, it's just too perfect for Usman to go out that way, but, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's a great fight. Yeah. The way I see it is, I mean, first of all, uh, I disagree with quite a few things you said about Dos Anjos Covington, mostly that Covington was even close in the kickboxing just because Dos Anjos landed a lot better more often and wasn't at a big volume disadvantage. And, you know, again, shit on him in the clinch. But I think Usman, he's not going to lose a decision. Usman is not the kind of fighter that loses a decision to the kind of fighter that Rafael Dos Anjos is. And Dos Anjos isn't going to gas, in my opinion. He went five rounds against Tony Ferguson at altitude with his, with his eyes scooped out by Tony Ferguson's finger. And he wasn't gassed at the end of that fight. He was just out-pressured because Tony Ferguson has the most manic pace in the history of the UFC, perhaps except for maybe Justin Gaethje. But Kamaru Usman, he's very, very low pace. I don't trust his pace, or I don't trust his cardio enough when he's going, he's done the least that he possibly can in his fights. So Rafael Dos Anjos, I feel like is just going to drown him in volume rounds four and five and eventually get the finish. And if he doesn't, I feel like he's pretty boned because Kamaru Usman is not going to lose a decision to clinch striking. Just like Colby Covington turned out to not have the style that was going to lose to clinch striking. Kamaru Usman's going to come forward, he's going to clinch up, he's going to win those rounds. And if Dos Anjos doesn't get the finish, he's not winning this fight. So I think it's kind of a test for Dos Anjos. It's asymmetrical, really, when it comes to the style matchup. Um, we actually have the topology rankings for the best fighters of all time. Let's let's see. What do, what's your official guess for where Dos Anjos is? Uh, very low. I know um, 
one of my guys said that Gayard Musasi was above um was above was him. Above Rafael Dos Anjos, Gegard Musazi, and a couple of other guys. Gegard's really good. Oh, that's fucking hilarious. Rafael Dos Anjos is number 49, and Musazi is 50. Oh, my God. Some of these are a little yeah, objective. equal with Mark, Musazi. Mark, Mark Coleman, I, I, I disagree. Rashad Evans, Rashad. I dis- Rashad Evans, I disagree. Uh, Josh Barnett, I disagree. Rich Franklin, I disagree. Dos um, Santos. A guy who, a lawler who Dos Anjos beat. Rampage Jack. How do you score Rampage Jackson, <laughs> a light heavyweight who is just technically not nearly as good? Yeah, this list, this list isn't a pound for pound. This, how, this is not like a pound for pound list. This is like a, a fucking, like who contributed most to the sport list or something like that. Fucking Nick Diaz. Tito, Tito Ortiz. Boss Rudin, Kane Velasquez, who's fought, what? Like on average in yeah, his this, career, this like list once is a, a little year, fucked. because his Nick frail Diaz, Nick Diaz, can't handle the weight of his muscles. Nick Diaz being number thirty-eight this, is so gracious. It's so gracious. Um, Nick Diaz above the guy that kicked the shit out of his leg. Nick Diaz is just. I think. Oh, wait, no. I, I don't see any it's just Nick. Nick. Never mind. I just misread that. Yeah. yeah. But Nick, Nick is the better fighter. Nick again. Um, yeah, right, Nick, we're, Nick we're, is greater than we're, Nate, but we're, Nate is probably better than We're Nate. dwelling on this a little too long. I don't think we'll ever, ever agree. We could probably do a whole podcast just on the Covington versus uh, Dos Anjos fight. Um, one, one thing, one thing. I, last point I want to say is that uh, I can tell that your fandom is still you know huge for Dos Anjos. Hey, I was the biggest Jose Aldo fan in the world until about a year ago. And uh, ever since then, uh, you know, I just I still love the guy a lot, but but you know, betting has brought out the you know the honesty in me, thinking that you know, not every, fighters just aren't as good as you know. You're never gonna realize uh, the real the real capabilities of a fighter if like you, you you claim that they're your favorite and stuff like that. I never saw the weaknesses in Connor or Aldo or anybody who I really liked until they were finally exposed. So. Um, un- Aldo unfo- is the greatest fighter of all time. Number one. I would like just, to. I would know, like to agree, but I would there. put about. I would put four or five or six guys ahead of him. Um, Fedor ahead of him. Jones ahead of him. Uh, Silva ahead of him. Uh, GSP. Silva. GSP ahead of him. I think Silva is supremely questionable six, on that list. Sixteen, I can, 16 I can wins in a row. GSP. What's that? Sixteen wins in a row. Against no one nearly as good as tier two of Aldo's defenses. Yeah, Aldo. I mean, Aldo's defenses were were good, but man, I just I don't think I don't know. I don't know. It, I don't it, think it, Silva beat anyone half as good as Frankie Edgar. Yeah, uh, let's see. Um, I mean, a uh, uh, fucking juiced up Chael. That was pretty hard. He he beat Maya really easily, as boring as it was. You know, Liebman were Liebman and Franklin were killers at the time. You know, Irvin was a guy in a bigger weight class. Uh, you know, he 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 had his fair share of tough tests, but you're right. He did. You know, in terms of uh, Mendez and uh, and Edgar and Lamas and all that. Uh, you know, those wins are very very spectacular. Yeah, and I mean, I don't think uh, I think there's an argument for GSP above him. I think there's an outside argument for Bones above him. But I don't really think that the arguments as convincing as Aldo above either of those two. Uh, I think Jones Jones is number one, no question. Even though I hate, I, even though I, you know, I strongly dislike the dude, 
Um, you know, he's a pe- lying, pathological piece of shit. But he's the best fu- fucking fighter that's ever graced the earth. Um, yeah, you kind of have to, you know, acknowledge both of that. John Jones is um, probably the most naturally talented and most intelligent fighter in the history of um, mixed martial arts, at least as far as we've seen him. But, you know, he's self-destructive enough that none of that's going to matter when people look back on his career. And I honestly think that um, Jones isn't, he's probably more adaptable than Aldo in the sense that he can, you know, fight around even bad style matchups like uh, Gustafson. But I also don't think that Jones's best opponents were better than Aldo's best opponents just as a function of him being at light heavyweight. And I think the same thing about Feeder. I don't think uh, Jones or Fedor faced anyone like Aldo faced. I think so. Right now, I, I think that the three best opponents that Aldo faced were, or the beat, let's say the fr- the three best opponents that he beat yeah. were Mendez, uh, Edgar, and I guess Lamas. Maybe maybe Uriah Faber. Um, um. Prime favor was a monster. Florian, there was maybe. Lamas. There was. But 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 jo- uh, Jones, Jones, be- Jones beaten five champs in a row. You know, a uh, little bit past Prime Sh- uh, Shogun. You know, and the way he finished him too, man. Like uh, it's just inc- so so versatile. Uh, you know, who would have think that he would have, you know, tapped out, you know, two Brazilian uh, jiu-jitsu black belts. You know, he made Shogun tap to strikes. He, uh, you know ran through a chow easily, think... had one of the greatest fights ever with Gustafson, and then, of course, beat Daniel Cormier, one of the greatest of all time, twice. I mean, I think one of the things that's a little bit disingenuous about the whole five champs in a row is that there's never been another champ other than um, Jose Aldo before Conor McGregor knocked him out. There just hadn't been. Jose Aldo came into WEC, ruled WEC, kicked the crap out of Uriah Faber, went to the UFC, was the inaugural champion, kicked the crap out of everyone, and then lost to Conor McGregor. Yeah, that, well, I so fell, I fell he never had with, a chance to beat five champs in a row. I if Edgar and, if Aldo didn't exist, Edgar run. and Mendez would be the greatest fighters of all time. Um, well, uh, he had the chance to beat five in a row, right? He had Hominick, then Florian, then Edgar, then, or, then Mendez, then Edgar, then uh, Jung, and then Mendez at six. Um, I know what you mean with with there was no other champions though he's the only champ I get I get that but yeah. but like I said all those were great points I I fell in love with the dude from that you know WBC to UFC run but you just can't forget about the fact that he was mentally beaten in the biggest biggest fight of his life and the first time someone ever talked some shit to him the first time somebody ever rattled his cage he went out there and laid an egg in the biggest fight of all time uh, so I mean, I mean all things considered that fight catapulted mcgregor it you know it was one of the it was you know back to back with ronda and that just two of the most shocking knockouts ever um you know it's it's it it, it took a lot out of him uh you know a yeah, lot out of his... a little bit like basically every great loses and you kind of have to think about aldo had been fighting for 10 years when he faced chad mendez the second time he was a decade into his career and before that fight, Aldo had been legitimately untouchable. As in, bef- his prospect loss to Luciano Azevedo, that aside, and a lot of greats have that, that aside, for six years through the WEC and through the UFC, the man hadn't been touched. 
he hadn't been challenged once. A decade into his professional career, he faced Chad Mendez the second time. A reinvented Chad Mendez gave him the fight of his life and still lost 46-49. And then he lost to Conor McGregor. So I think it's a little bit odd to frame it as Conor McGregor just being the first to rattle him. I think it's a little fairer to say that Aldo, despite being young, has uh, declined a little bit physically. And you can see that in other sports where, um, like Muay Thai, for example, where people become shot really, really like young because they start very, very young. And Aldo started at something like 17 or 18, and he is pretty um, out of his prime at 30. So I think saying that he lost is a little bit disingenuous when he has beaten better guys than anyone else in the history of fighting. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very, very close race. I think, I think you know, Fedor, Jones, and Aldo... Uh, I don't know. All, all five of them, man, are so close. I don't like to rank them. I don't like to rank them, but I like to say Aldo, Fedor, uh, Silva, GSP, and uh, Jones are the five best ever. It's too hard to rank them. You'll never, we'll never settle over it. Um, but we've been dwelling on this a little too much. Um, we gotta, yeah. we gotta move along to the card going down in Adelaide, South Australia, this Saturday, December first at 10 p.m. on Fox Sports One. We're gonna start things off in the Lightweight division, we have Damir Ismagalov taking on Alex Gorgis. Uh, Ismagalov is 16-2. Gorgis is 7-0. The betting line for this one opened up at Damir Ismagalov as the favorite at minus 405. Gorgis at plus 285. Uh, the line has remained around similar. People betting down Damir all the way down to minus 490. Gorgis up to plus 390. Uh, I kind of I kind of agree with the line movement in this one. I mean, he's uh, Damir seems almost like a lock in this one. Gorgis looks so so raw. He you know his some of his fights in leading up to this fight are just absolutely incredible that this guy got signed. So sloppy, you know uh, his opponent just terrible terrible opponents. Uh, I think that Damir is you know uh, very very well rounded. He's got good wrestling. He's got uh, good submissions, good top control, and also some uh, some power on the feet. So unless Usada gets to him, which is honestly a very very common trend, we saw Alex, Alexei Konchenko come in looking like a world beater on tape, and then he came in in his last fight looking a little flat. Uh, like I said, the same thing happened with Plovich. You know, it's it's there's no secret Russians uh, are the, the the most prevalent steroid users in the world. So. Uh, you gotta. I mean, he's Kazakhstani, but come on, that's a USSR thing. Um, so uh, hopefully, Damir Ismagalov looks the same, and uh, hopefully, he gets the win done in this one. Uh, this isn't one that I've seen a lot of tape on, just because, uh, and this is easy to forget. It started out as um, Ross Pearson versus Joe Duffy, and is, uh, injuries have you know slaughtered this one, but I. Th- I think the line is fair from the little I've seen of Ismagulov. Uh, he's very good. And I haven't seen that much from Gorgies. I generally, you can, if if in doubt, you can bet on the guy whose name ends with OV because they're, you know, hard bastards. So I think uh, the line's probably fair, but still zero value. Just, you know, the debut fight for Ismagulov, I suppose. Hell yeah. Um, next fight, man. So, uh, let me tell you something. The, the, Tough card is way better than this one. Some of these fights are going to be a bitch to sit through. And this next one is one of them. <laughs> Kita Nakamura, who is 33-9-2, taking on Salim Tuhari, who is 10-2. The betting line for this one opened up as 
Kita Nakamura as the favorite at minus 195, Tuhari at plus 155, barely any line movement, plus one or minus 185 for Nakamura, plus 160 for Tuhari. Not surprised, honestly. Uh, I don't, I don't understand anybody who bets on this fight. There's just nothing to gain. Both of these dudes are very, very average. I uh, just gotta say that. You know, uh, Kita Nakamura lost his uh, last fight to uh, Tony Martin. Uh, he has a win over uh, Alex Morona, which doesn't look bad. Also, a win over Lee Jingling, which looks pretty good. But man, that was that was a couple years ago. He's looked, um, you know, much slower. He's uh, 34, getting up there in age. He's had over 40 fights, so I think that that uh, Father Time is is catching up to him. But he still has a winnable fight here. Salim Tuhari is just so so underwhelming. This his fight against Warley Alves. I've never seen a guy go into a UFC fight with as little tenacity and a little aggressiveness and a little will to win as this guy did against Warley Alves. It's just he was in the entire fight. Like Warley Alves wasn't beating his ass or anything. The dude just showed like nothing. Just nothing. Uh so you know that that fight was one of the most painful fights I've ever had to sit through and watch. Uh, so I'm really, really not looking forward to this one. But I guess Kina Nakamura is going to get it done because I don't think Tuhari is capable of winning a fight. So uh, have you studied these two jackasses, Srimo? Uh I saw the Nakamura sub over um, Jing Liang. That, uh, that feels like a little bit of an anomaly. A loss to Martin actually isn't that bad considering how good Martin looked as a striker against uh, Ryan LaFleur last time out. But no, bottom line, I don't give a shit about this fight. It's... It's bad. It's really bad. I, like I'm honestly more interested in pretty much all of the tough finale fights than this fight. It's uh, I'm probably going to skip it when I watch. I'm definitely going to avoid it as a bad. Yeah, I'll uh, you know go go grab a coffee or something during this fight. Um, but next fight we have Kai Kara France, who is 17 and seven, taking on Elias Garcia, who is six and one. The betting line for this one opened up. Kai Kara got or Kai Kara France opened up at minus three sixty five. Elias Garcia at plus two fifty five. People were betting down France all the way down to minus four hundred. Garcia shot up to plus three twenty five. Uh, you know what's? I wouldn't. I think this is a little wide now. I don't think that uh, Garcia has a good chance of winning this fight. Uh, but I wouldn't really cap it this high. But, you know, I guess people are trusting uh, Kai Kara. Um, coming in here looking pretty good. Uh, got really good takedown defense. I was honestly really, really impressed with this takedown defense against this fight against uh, Alexandre Pantoja, who is just an, a tremendous fighter, as we all know. He's just really shined in the UFC lately. So, uh, you know, his, his the rest of his competition, you know, not so great. The dude's from Australia uh i believe or new zealand yeah excuse me new zealand um so you know the, unfortunately the competition of mma just isn't too high out, out there he trains out of tiger muay thai though which is you know a great camp uh, a lot of those guys are fighting pedro tyson pedro tai tuvisa um and I'm sure they have a lot of other UFC guys fighting uh, out of that camp too it's a really good camp so that that actually uh you know uh holds a little bit of value i think uh that'll bit play a big factor in this one uh don't really have a great feel for uh Kara striking i don't think it's that great uh, i think he's got a little bit of striking a little bit of uh submissions but man I, I, he's just not good enough to be minus 400 that's the only thing you know garcia is you know looked uh, pretty average in his debut against mark de la rosa uh, his striking didn't look too impressive, and then was uh, taken down. His takedown defense didn't look too bad, but eventually Mark De La Rosa did get him down and did uh, you know finish him with a choke in that one. So 
the 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 value in this one is going to be on Elias Garcia, but uh, I, I expect uh, Kai Car France to win in his debut. Uh, yeah, I feel pretty much the same way. Again, I don't generally cap fights this wide because fights are very volatile, but that decreases the lower down in weight you go. And I believe this is either at flyweight or at bantamweight. I'm not sure which one, considering that flyweight is, you know, it's been gutted and it's going to be gutted. And um, I think Kai Car France, a big part of his appeal is just the fact that he has legit power for a 125 or 135 or uh, Elias Garcia got kind of run through by um, Mark De La Rosa and I don't rate De La Rosa particularly highly so it's uh, it's a fight that I'm struggling to feel strongly about I don't feel too strongly negatively about it as I did about uh, Nakamura Tuari but it's a fight where I'm probably going to avoid it on the odds alone I probably would have put a little bit on Kai Car France even if he was like minus 200 but minus 400 I don't feel as um certain in a debutante with fairly low-level competition beating a, a decent guy. Not a great guy, but Garcia isn't bad. Nice word of the used debutante. Um, and in the next fight we have, in the lightweight division, another stinker of a fight, Mitsuto Hirota, t- who is 18-9-2, taking on Christos Giagos, who is 15-7. and seven. The betting line for this one opened up. Giagos as the favorite, minus 365. Hirota at plus 255. The line is almost exactly the same. Hirota is down to plus 305 now, while Giagos is uh, still at minus 365. Interesting line movement on that one. But, uh, you know, it's... Neither of these guys are, are honestly UFC caliber at this point. Jagos was brought in on short notice for his last fight against uh, Charles Oliveira. He lost by submission in that one. And then I guess they're just keeping him around out of courtesy for one more fight. They're like, hey, dude, you want another fight? Sure, I do. All right, go fly 20 hours to Australia. Um, it's like, oh, okay, th- thanks. Thanks, UFC. Um, Hirota also, you know, lo- lo- losing his last two fights. Ross Pearson, that fight was brutal. I honestly thought he won that fight, uh, but I mean Ross Pearson uh, is no good, so that that win doesn't hold. That fight doesn't hold much water, and he got uh, smashed by Alexander Volkanovski before that, so, which is a very very legitimate contender. So no shame in that loss. But uh, you know Hirota plus three hundred five. Honestly, I don't I don't I don't diss it. Uh, Giago should just not be minus three hundred versus anybody. So uh, man, pretty poor fight. But uh, what are you thinking about this one? Uh, I looked at Giagos's record before this, and he actually has two wins in ACB, uh, Absolute Championship Berkut, which I actually rate pretty highly, just because he hasn't, you know, faced he hasn't faced anyone particularly good. Neither one of them have Wikipedia pages, but you know, ACB is kind of a tough environment, so you have to kind of respect that. And I don't think I agree with you that he shouldn't be plus or minus three hundred or anywhere near that territory against anyone. But I do think he wins this fight just because Mizoto. Mizuto Hirota um, lost to Ross Pearson. Hirota's resilient for sure. He um, made it to decision against Alexander Volkanovsky, who has made a habit of just drowning guys in volume. But I don't think that he's good enough to beat Yagos. And Yagos didn't actually make a particularly bad account of himself against Charles Oliveira. It wasn't a great fight. It wasn't, uh, you know, excellent showing in a loss. But it wasn't a bad showing, especially considering that he got out from underneath um, Oliveira and Mount. 
that's something that you can, you know, frame and put on your wall. So uh, I favor Yagos, but minus 365 is excessive. If you know something about Hirota being, you know, better than I'm portraying him, then it's worth a stab for sure. But I just, this one screams avoid. A lot of these scream avoid. For sure, like I said, this card's going to be a little bit rough, but we'll hope to stick through there. We have next fight in the flyweight division, Wilson Hayes, who is 22-9, and nine, taking on Ben Nguyen, who is 17-7. and seven. Uh, Ben Nguyen opened up at plus 110 for this one, Wilson Hayes at minus 150. Uh, since then, the line has flipped almost identically, uh, Ben Nguyen at minus 150 and uh, Wilson Hayes at plus 130. Um, what are you thinking about this one, Shiro? Uh, I actually legitimately like Wilson Hayes, like, as a fighter. I think he's underrated in the sense that he faced both flyweight champions back-to-back when he wasn't ready for it. So, you know, public opinions kind of rebounded to him being a, you know, total bum of flyweight. But I think he's legitimately good. He's excellent, in my opinion. He's a good, like, excellent in the sense that I can appreciate his skill set. He's not elite, even among flyweight. But... He's a very fun to watch. He's a great grappler. He's um, he's just, he isn't a great striker. And I think his best shot is winning this um, inside the distance. Because Ben Wen is a, um, he's a more patient striker. He's a little bit more nuanced. And Wilson Hayes brings big power, especially in kicks. The Jorgensen finish was one of my favorites like in an underrated sense just because he kicked uh, Jorgensen's liver out of his torso and then took him down and got the arm triangle so wasn't Hayes is an opportunistic finisher and uh, Ben Wen he isn't terribly powerful he is able to be submitted and um, Wilson Hayes is one of the better grapplers he's faced he faced Juicy A Formiga and survived with Formiga on top of him so this might not be a total blowout on the ground but I think Wilson Hayes kind of needs an inside the distance in this one to win because over the distance, when is just a little bit sharper on the feet. Yeah, it all depends if Wilson Hayes can get his ground game going. He is uh, a really great grappler. Um, and uh, like you said, that that is a little detrimental thinking about uh, the fact that Ben Nguyen survived against uh, Juicier Formiga, who is just you know, a very, very talented grappler. Just beat Sergio Pettis is probably would probably have been in the next uh, flyweight con- uh, contender for the belt, which he definitely deserved. But you know, tough luck. Um, so uh, honestly, uh, I, I I would go with Dogger Pass on this one. I wouldn't trust Ben Nguyen at minus one fifty. He just hasn't hasn't really looked to uh, you know like a winner lately. I don't know if that makes sense, but he uh, you know had a good run in the UFC for a couple fights, but he's been he's been struggling lately, running into some really tough competition. So you know, no discredit to him. He's a uh, you know a cool dude, um, but uh, you know I think that this one's gonna uh, gonna be tough to uh, to to. You know, like you said, if this fight stays on the feet, uh, I definitely favor New Win, but it's going to be tough to. Uh, I don't think his uh, his scramble game is that good for being a flyweight. Flyweights, you know, are really really uh, reliant on scrambles. So uh, I definitely think Wilson Hayes is great, great in scrambles too. So uh, if that that's where this fight ends up, you know, as a close uh, close combat wrestling match, I expect. To, uh, uh, Wilson Hayes to win. If it ends up in a, as a kickboxing match at, at range, I expect Ben to win to win. Okay. In- mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel basically the same way. I think uh, Ben Nguyen, his uh, submissions are probably the best part of his game. I don't rate his striking too highly, but he did get a submission over Tim Elliott, who's 
great grappler. Tim Elliott, um, he's impressive. He's, you know, underrated in the sense that his record doesn't look great. But he's a very legitimate grappler, and Ben Nguyen just was able to take him out in, what, like a minute? Less than a minute, something like that. But I think that does put him in a little bit of a bottleneck against Wilson Hayes, who is almost unquestionably the better grappler. Wilson Hayes is a world champion, and he has a win over Ryan Hall in pure grappling. The man has a guard pass named after him. So I don't think that there's really any reason to think that Wen can handle him on the ground. So his best shot is sort of using his... Um, it's a skill set that he likes to use as striking, but it's still somewhat of an auxiliary skill set. So I don't know if I can trust his takedown defense against Hayes. And Hayes looked legitimately crafty um, against John Moraga despite the loss. So I'm feeling Hayes here, but you know maybe that's just me being an unreasonable Hayes fan for no reason at all. Next fight in the welterweight division, we have Alexei Kunchenko, who is undefeated at 19-0, taking on Yushin Okami, who is 35-11. The betting line for this one opened up Alexei Kunchenko at the favorite at minus 320, Yushin Okami at plus 240. Since then, people have bet down uh, Alexei Kunchenko a little more to minus 340, Yushin Okami at plus 280, but the line has stayed relatively the same. Uh, Alexei Konchenko, like I mentioned, he looked like a you know a world beater on tape a couple of months ago, before that Moscow card uh, was you know a minus six or seven hundred favorite in that fight against um, Thiago Alves, and honestly you know that fight was razor thin. Honestly, I think Alexei Konchenko would have lost that fight if it weren't in Russia, but you know uh, that's that's how those things go. That fight that card actually had a few uh, questionable decisions on it, um, all going to Russians. But uh, that's beside the point. That's just Russian athletics for you. Um, Yushin Okami, man, uh, surprised me in his last fight against uh, Diego Lima, man. He looked really good in that fight. His takedowns were on point. His cardio was on point. And he beat Lima, you know, easily with the wrestling. So, uh, Konchenko is a, you know, I think his striking is his best aspect. He definitely has good ground game as well. But I don't think Okami is going to be able to hang with him on the feet. So, I think Okami is going to be going for the wrestling. He's going to be trying to make this fight, uh, you know, a grinding wrestling match. And I honestly don't, don't. Uh, I actually like his chances at plus, you know, 280 or 260 or whatever it is right now. Shit, man, uh, Yokami is, he's still there. And, you know, for two older gentlemen, I think Konchenko, even though he just got in the UFC, I'm pretty sure he's 34. Uh, Let me double check this. Yep, 34. So, you know, two, two, uh, you know, veteran fighters. uh, I I definitely don't discourage a play on uh, Yushin Okami at plus 280. Uh, yeah, I think that's fair, but uh, beating Diego Lima doesn't really impress me because Diego Lima is very, very bad. And Alexei Kunchenko's close fight against Thiago Alves, I don't even remember how I scored that one. I do remember, um, you know, I figured that it would go to Kunchenko because it's Russia, and I just sort of figured that there would be that same sort of Brazilian bias. And uh, I think this was after the absolutely abhorrent Kabilov versus Cajun Johnson decision, which pretty much made me think that any Russian who makes it to decision gets their win bonus. But yeah, I think Kunchenko picks this one up uh, despite looking not as impressive as I sort of expected him to against Thiago Alves. Uh, I don't feel strongly about this one, to be very honest with you. I mean, Yushin Okami, he didn't look shot against Diego Lima, but on the other hand, he could have been shot and he could have still beaten Diego Lima in a very similar way. So I don't think Okami can grind out Kunchenko, although he might have a size advantage as a former light heavyweight. 
but I think Kunchenko has most of the advantages here. The odds are wide, but you know that's you can take a stab at Okami. I just wouldn't trust him at this point. Yeah, I was so disappointed uh, by Kunchenko. I was I watched like three or four of that dude's fights before the last event and was so high on him and uh, put him in a parlay with a bunch of other Russians, including Kogulov. So I was obviously glad they won the fight, but I was a little underwhelmed for sure. Um, next fight is uh, a fight I'm, I'm, a little, I'm a little more interested in after tape. <clears throat> in the featherweight division, we have Sadiq Youssef, who is 7-1, taking on Suman Mokhtarian, who is 8-0. The betting line for this one opened up at Sadiq Youssef, the favorite, at minus 385. Suman Mokhtarian at plus 265. That opener is, like, spot on. I honestly, I honestly think it might be even be a little too steep there. But some crazy motherfuckers are out there are betting, betting Sadiq Youssef all the way down to minus 620. A guy making his UFC debut who, you know, looked decent to good in his uh dana white tuesday night contender series performance i guess it has a little bit to go with the, the opponent he's taken on sumon mokatarian uh has fought some pretty low level competition a lot of the guys don't even have U uh, mma records on tapology i don't even know how that works and then the other guys that do are you know very very bad records so it seems like he has a pretty padded record he hasn't really fought anybody good yet for the most part um, so that's obviously worrisome, but uh, you know, Sadiq Youssef is seems a little a little one dimensional. He uh, he he's you know a good puncher, good boxer, uh, decent striking overall. But uh, you watch his fight against Luis Gomez in Titan FC. He's taking on Luis Gomez, who's a tiny, tiny guy. He must have fought at bantamweight. He weighed in at under the featherweight or other under the featherweight limit. Yes, and uh, it doesn't say whether his uh, previous fights were at. Um, uh, we're at featherweight or not, but man, this dude was small and he rocked Sadiq Youssef with a punch really bad. Um, uh, you know, put, uh, put him down and then eventually got the finish a little, a few minutes later. And, uh, you know, he knocked him out via slam. Like he was going for, a, uh, you know, a, a takedown and he, he basically just went for a double leg and slammed Sadiq Youssef's head into the mat pretty quickly. So that shows that shows a little bit of grappling inexperience for me. Um, and he, like I said, he got taken down a lot by Gomez in that fight. His takedown defense didn't look too good, and that was only less than a year ago. So uh, I think that and Suman Mkhitaryan has definitely got a good ground game. His, his striking isn't anything special, but he most of his wins are coming by submission. So if uh, you know if he has his wrestling on point, if he's ready to go out there and, and chase that that su submission i think he has a good chance of pulling off the huge offset in this uh, with the, this one uh, against sadiq Youssef. so i'm uh, i would uh if i had to pick one i would just go with mukatarian just for the fuck of it man yeah plus 500 or wherever he is uh, i think this is going to be one of the biggest upsets of the year uh if if he can get his uh, submission game going which you know i, I guess i'm going to trust him enough to do so uh the pick's going to be mukatarian here uh, this is another one on this card I don't feel too strongly about just because they're both debutantes. And I learned from the, um, well, from a lot of fights not to trust them as much as I should or as much as I used to. Just because it's hard to know what to make of them against higher level competition. And I think Suman Mokhtarian is poised to become a great example of that. Because if you look at his last few, his last two wins come via baseball by choke and a twister. So, I don't think that that makes me think that a submission game is just a random meme shit against fighters that just can't grapple at all and he'll just take whatever he wants from them. 
And I'm not sure Sadiq Yusuf is the same way, but I don't think that anyone in this fight should be minus 620 because Sadiq Yusuf, I saw a little bit of his, um, of the Gomez fight that you're talking about. I saw a little bit of his uh, other fights that, you know, were on the internet. And I don't rate him particularly highly based off them. I wouldn't put him at minus 620 against anyone. Minus 620 implies a very, very, very high chance of success. So I don't think he has that against probably a better grappler. But again, you can't really be sure because Suman Mokhtarian hasn't beaten anyone good and he's not beating them in ways that makes me trust his fundamentals at all. So it's not, uh, it, it's a, it's an avoid fight, but if you're going to put any money on it, it's pretty unquestionably Suman Mokhtarian. I'd like, that's what I'd like to hear. Uh, in the next fight, in this is the main card. I, that last fight was the main card as well. Six fight main card, always a pleasure. Um, we have Jim Crute, who is 8-0, taking on Paul Craig, who is 10-2. Jim Crute opened up as the favorite in this one at minus 245. Paul Craig at plus 185. Uh, very little line movement on this one. Crute uh, down to minus 250. Craig up to plus 210 in this one. Um, you know, whew, I, I would, I would, I'm going to pick the underdog Paul Craig to get this one done. Uh, you know Jim Crute. He uh, he he's he looks like he's a powerful puncher. He looks pretty sloppy, honestly. He um, you know any any type of uh, you know good striker or puncher has a good chance against Paul Craig. His striking is not very good, but he uh, you know he finds a way to win. Obviously, like his last fight, one of the best comebacks, the biggest upset of the year. Uh, that's an official statistic. Plus five plus five hundred is what he closed at against Ankalev. He also has losses, though, to Cleo Roundtree and Tyson Pedro. And, you know, his chin is not the best. Uh, so if you're going to – if uh, if Jim if Jim Crew comes out here with some, you know, polished striking and, uh, you know, picks the shots, and I think he could possibly get a finish. If he comes out swinging wild and crazy like he typically does, man, honestly, I, I kind of like Paul Craig's chances to, you know, pull out a win in some sort of, you know, gr grinding fashion, whether he takes him down and gets a submission, he clips him with a punch, or maybe he actually grinds out the full 15 minutes. So uh, I guess I'm going to side with Craig in this one. Uh, I feel the opposite way. I think Paul Craig, he's a very, very limited talent, and I really, I really do want to like Paul Craig. Uh, after that last comeback victory and having the greatest nickname in the history of Bear Jew is just, you know, not really a stroke of genius because it doesn't mean anything, but it's it's really fun to say, and I really want to like him for it. But he is just he's really bad on the feet. I think anyone who's going to come out and you know just swing their heart out, he's going to catch Craig going for one of those labored leg kicks that he went for against Khalil Roundtree, and he's good from he's obviously great from the bottom considering the Uncle Live win. Uh, Uncle Live is a legitimate light heavyweight prospect considering what he did to. Um, What's his name? The guy who lost to Sam Ali, Martin Prachnio. Well, considering what he did to Martin Prachnio, uh, Ankalaev is a legitimate light heavyweight prospect, and um, Craig was able to steal that win. But I don't think that Jim Crude is going to lie down on top of Paul Craig. Jim Crude is going to, given his Dana White Contender Series fight, he's going to swing and you know punch Paul Craig in the face numerous times very hard. So Paul Craig, I think this is basically how I would cap the fight. Uh, even though it probably includes that, you know, classic um, Tuesday Night Contender Series hype machine minus 100 or 200, 
I think this is a fair way to cap the fight at minus 250 plus 210 for Crew Craig because Crew, he, he's stylistically very difficult for Paul Craig. Paul Craig isn't a great wrestler. Paul Craig is a great grappler, but, you know, betting uh, against grapplers with great rest without great wrestling is pretty much rule number one in MMA when it comes to them facing, you know, good strikers. And Paul Craig has some of the worst striking in the game, second only to, of course, Ben Astor. So, <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's going to be crude for me on this one. Nice. Um, so, in, again, in the welterweight division, we have I, uh, one of the best fights all weekend. Uh, this this fight and the Benavidez. Um, who's Benavidez? Alex Perez. Yeah, Alex Perez fight. Uh, that This, I believe, is the most anticipated fight of the weekend. Jake Matthews, who is 14-3, taking on uh, Anthony Rocco Martin, who is 14-4, previously known as Tony Martin. He switched his name up, apparently. Jake Matthews opened up at minus 105, Anthony Rocco Martin minus 135 as the favorite. And it's since flipped. Uh, Anthony Martin is now uh, the underdog at plus 105. And... Jake Matthews is minus 125. Uh, uh, he actually was a, a bit higher, if I'm correct. Um, uh, Martin maybe got up to plus yeah, 125 area. Um, you know, I was really, really impressed with Anthony Martin in his last fight against Ryan LaFlair. His his striking looked good. His, you know, his uh, takedown defense looked good. He, you know, obviously scored the knockout in round three. He, he showed some power. Really looked like he was coming into his own at 170. And uh, his opponent, Jake Matthews, also looking really, really good in his last fight, beating Lee Jingleng uh, via decision. Oh, no, actually, wait, he fought more, He fought since then. He fought uh, Shiniso and Sai. Uh, not really much to say about that. He, you know, kind of just, that was a squash match. Um, ran through him and choked him out in the first round. But, uh, you know, he's really looking good. His takedowns are looking on point. He, uh, you know, his top pressure looked really good against Lee Jingalang. Obviously, he got that sub in his last fight. So, uh, I don't know. Martin's going to be hard to submit, though. He's really, he's, uh, I believe, a jiu-jitsu black belt himself. And uh, he's, you know, really good at getting out of bad positions. Uh, we saw that in uh, the Nakamura fight and uh, some of his uh, previous fights before. Let me think if I can uh, remember which ones. Um, Ola, yeah, OAM fight. He, he got, uh, you know, his back taken to that one and wasn't, wasn't uh, submitted. So, uh, you know, it, it's going to be, uh, this one's going to be really interesting. If uh, Anthony Martin's uh, takedown defense is on point and his scrambles are on point, I think he can, you know, win the striking exchanges in this fight. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't really, uh, I uh, might actually have to hop on on some action with him at uh, plus money because uh, Anthony Martin is going to be the pick to get the win. Mm, yeah, I caught uh, Tony Martin at plus 130, which was really nice. And um, I think he gets this one done just because I don't rate Jake Matthews very highly at all. Like, it's weird to say that because Jake Matthews is legitimately good in his last few but it's hard to um it's hard to know what to make of it considering that the Li Jingliang fight just seemed to be like a gigantic physicality difference in my opinion because Li Jing like Jake Matthews just sort of realized that he was the biggest one of the bigger guys in the division he realized that he was stronger than Li Jingliang so just kind of throw him around and I think Anthony Rocco Martin or Tony Martin which is a lot easier to say <laughs> I think Tony Martin is going to um be the sharper striker now one question i have is i believe uh martin is an orthodox fighter 
and Martin faced Ryan LaFlair, who is a southpaw, or at least he was for that fight. And uh, Martin actually used a little bit of the Crow Cop game plan for that, but inverted. That is, from the orthodox position, he used the right straight to set up the head kick. Now, I think Anthony Martin is a decent enough striker when things don't always go his way, but I also don't know if the success he found against Ryan LaFlair was a symptom of that particular tactic, because... Uh, I mean, Ryan LaFleur isn't a great striker, but he's, you know, generally tough. He's been put out before, but only by guys like, you know, Alex Oliveira, who is top two or three for raw power in the division. So I'm not sure that uh, Martin is going to as decisively outstrike Jake Matthews, but I do feel fairly strongly that um, Tony Martin has the advantage on the feet. So uh, we seem to be on the same page of that one. I might just wait to see what his like plus three and a half points is, even though I expect that line to be pretty juiced. Who knows though? Um, who knows? Uh, so uh, I believe that's going to move us along to Tyson Pedro, who is seven and two, taking on Shogun Hua, who is twenty five and eleven. The betting line for this one opened up Tyson Pedro at minus two ten. Mauricio Shogun who at plus 160 the odds maker was drunk when he made this line Tyson Pedro all the way down to minus 460 Mauricio Shogun who up to plus 365 huge line movement for Tyson Pedro uh go ahead and start start this one off Sriram uh I would not have Tyson Pedro at minus 460 against anyone because I think Tyson Pedro he's Okay, I mean, first of all, his um, grappling is a little bit overrated, considering that he choked out Khalil Roundtree, who basically anyone can choke out uh, near his size. And um, he took out, um, what's his name? Saparbek Safarov at UFC 221, which was, um, it was fairly impressive, but not really, considering that Sapar. it was kind of a jank submission that, uh, OSP in turn got on him. And I don't think that Tyson Pedro's raw physicality, his youth, his probable striking advantage is enough to overcome just the sheer stupidity he showed in his last fight. And like, that's not, it's pretty clear that he fucked up hard somewhere against OSP. And it was when he decided to grapple the more physical grappler for no reason as he had OSP very severely hurt. I think Tyson Pedro wins this on the feet, decides to grapple, and gets triangled by Shogun Hua because, you know, Tyson Pedro's uh, fight IQ is just lacking in every single way. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's possible for him to make that much of a bonehead move. Again, uh, you know, like he said. But but here's the thing. In that fight where he made those the, that retard move of taking uh, OSP down and getting armbarred, he... He those shots that he landed on OSP would put Shogun out, no doubt in my mind. That I don't even know what kind of punch it was that hit uh, OSP that rocked him, and that head kick that uh, that OSP just ate like uh, cotton candy. Th- those shots are putting Shogun out 
all day. He uh, he just looks like a shell of his former former self. He was knocked out viciously, viciously, like three or four months ago, dude. Like who the fuck let Shogun take this fight, man? Uh, against a young, up and coming, super powerful guy in Tyson Pedro. Obviously, his his fight IQ is still developing. He he only has nine fights in the UFC or in, in MMA. Um, even less in the UFC, so uh, that's a, a big question mark. But uh, I really, really expect Paul Craig to, or uh, excuse me, Tyson Pedro to win this one uh, by knockout I mean, in the first round. I think one thing is that um, Shogun, and I actually pick Shogun over Smith, but that's just because I don't think Smith is very good at all. But I think one thing that kind of made that happen was uh, Shogun Hua had been facing guys that weren't exactly going to out athlete him. Like, guys like Corey Anderson, Corey Anderson's a decent athlete, but he also has basically no chin, and Shogun was able to drop him multiple times. He faced Jean Vellante, who is basically the definition of a light heavyweight softball, which is a division basically full of softballs. So I think Shogun's success in the last few years has been inflated by favorable matchups, and facing an athletic guy, I think it's entirely possible that Pedro puts him out. Like, outside of the memes, it's hard not to favor Tyson Pedro here. The problem is if Mauricio Rua ends up actually having a chin, like, if Rua, like, goes Arlovsky for this one and somehow grew back his chin, I think Pedro is pretty fucked. Because Pedro is not going to have the um, the discipline, he's not going to have the adaptability to really deal with Shogun, even a very, very severely diminished Shogun, in my opinion. Because, I mean, raw athleticism can only take you so far. So if I were to bet here, it would be like 0.2 units on Mauricio Hua for, you know, just for fun. Especially since I think his chin is just, you know, gone. But I think that there's an outside, not insignificant chance that Pedro could piss this one away. Yeah, um, so that point about the resurgence uh, where he could come out looking like Arlowski, that already happened, I think. He, you know, got knocked out by OSP. And then he lost, uh, also coming off that loss to Dan Henderson. He came back and he won three fights in a row, looking great. And he even scored a knockout in that one. Um, but he fought three guys who don't hit very hard. Uh, I guess Noguera hits pretty hard. But uh, Corey Anderson, not really known for his knockout power. And John Vellante has pillows for fists. So, you know, th- that was his resurgence. I honestly, you know, like, same thing. I honestly thought he could have p- pulled off the updog or the... Uh, underdog victory (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the underdog victory against anthony smith but uh you know he he went down hard and fast in that one um so uh i really just i don't know tyson pedro is a bro though i listen to his podcast he's fucking hilarious so that might be playing a little bit into my favoritism of him but uh, i really expect him and hope he gets this one done um, so interesting, interesting yeah, fight in the co-main event. We have a heavyweight division, Mark Hunt, who is 13, 13 and one taking on Justin Willis, who is seven and one. The betting line for this one opened up Mark Hunt as the waiting for the page to load favorite at minus 155, Justin Willis at the plus 115 underdog. Since then, uh, more action has come in on Justin Willis pushing him to the favorite at minus 120. Mark Hunt up to plus 100. Um, so, you know, these guys are... Uh, Mark Hunt, obviously, uh, legend. 
He's uh, on the very outs of his career. I believe this is his last fight. He announced that it, uh, it will be, so it should be, but who knows if he, it'll actually be. Um, he's, uh, you know, he's looked he's looked good in the past coming years for a 44-year-old. Um, I got to say that. He uh, got viciously knocked out by Oster Overeem last year, and he bounced back right away with a, you know, a win over one of the best guys in the division, Derek Lewis. He's only lost like like one out of his last, you know, or actually two out of his last like ten or eleven fights in the UFC. Um, so you know that that was a really impressive win that he bounced and he bounced back from a knockout really quick within three months. So uh, and then he obviously had that tough fight against Curtis Blades, um, where he still you know landed on the chin of Blades, uh, rocked him a little bit, but eventually lost in the wrestling of that one. And then uh, his last fight was just a total choke job where he had Alexi Olenek really hurt was chewing up his leg with leg kicks and then somehow tripped over his own feet, got taken down and tapped out in the first round. So super disappointing performance from him in that one. But uh, he, you know, he still throws the power. His leg kicks are still really heavy. Obviously, his his punches are going to be heavy until he's probably, you know, 70 or 80 years old. And, uh, you know, Justin Willis is, uh, you know, is a, a, a much lower level heavyweight than the, the opponents that he's been facing. You know, the dude lost uh, a decision to Chase Sherman, I'm pretty sure. Uh, let me let me double check that. Um, and, uh, no, he won a decision, excuse me, with Chase Sherman, but he still couldn't knock him out. That's, um, you know, Ch- Sherman's terrible. Uh, so, you know, it's... Uh, I, I haven't really watched much tape on on Lewis or on Willis, uh, only a very limited amount, so I can't fully you know say that I'm confident in Mark Hunt. And although I think that that there's a lot of momentum in Mark Hunt's favor, the fact that this is you know very close to his hometown, it's going to be his last fight. That place is going to be going bananas for him. He knows that you know one last walk off net KO could really mean a, a walk off from the sport, and uh, he knows that he has a, a a decent matchup ahead of him in this one. So. Uh, I think I think that uh, Mark Hunt will get the win in this one. Uh, I just can't trust Mark Hunt after that Atlantic fight. I mean, he got rocked by Atlantic's wristbone, and then he just never looked the same. And I think Atlantic was about as easy as an opponent it gets for Mark Hunt. I was on Mark Hunt very easily when the odds were closer than minus 300 for Mark Hunt. So the fact that he lost against a guy with zero striking defense very bad striking offense, and actually very subpar takedowns just suggests to me that Mark Hunt is just shot. He's he's done, and that makes this a very good chance, a very good choice to retire. Now, facing Justin Willis, who's younger, who's actually, in my opinion, a better heavyweight prospect than the main event in Taito Ivaza, and a fairly powerful striker when his chin has pretty clearly cracked, is something that I really do think Justin Willis gets this one. Because, okay, Justin Willis isn't high volume. Justin Willis isn't particularly technically interesting to me. And his knockout over um, Alan Crowder is pretty much the only highlight of his career after a tepid slog against um, James Mulherin and the decision over Chase Sherman. But Mark Hunt's chin being gone is a pretty bad prospect for someone who's just about as low volume and who doesn't, who has relied on um, resilience for a long time in his career. So I think Justin Willis cracks him early, gets him out of there. And that depresses me to say, but that's what I think. <laughs> so you think he's going he's gonna to test a chin and knock him out? Yeah, I think Willis gets the finish. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm just, I don't know. I just don't think that, you know, the, the past couple guys to, to knock him out, you know, 
Junior Dos Santos, Fabricio Verdum, Stevie Miocic, Alistair Overeem. Uh, I just don't think that homeboy Justin Willis is in that 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 uh, contention with those guys. But you know, it would it would be it would. Neither is Olenek. That's true, but he didn't he didn't knock him out. Um, yeah, but he still got you know uh, hit with a wrist bone and did the chicken dance. Yeah, well, well I think he, he tripped over, he, he tripped over his or he, he he folded over his own ankle and rolled it and fell down. I think is what happened in that fight. But regardless, he had the dude so fucking hurt, man. He was wobbling on one leg, like dude. All you had to do is throw one more leg kick or fake a leg kicking and throw the overhand, and he still somehow found a way to lose that fight. That was just uh, astounding. Danny. Overall, Hunt looked bad in that fight. Uh, I think, okay, I mean, overall, I think um, the guy that took a flush Krokop head kick, getting knocked out by, like, um, by that Overeem knee, for example, isn't a horrible sign because Overeem has absolutely brutal knees, but it also isn't a good sign considering that Hunt has always been known for durability. And he faced Curtis Blades, who wasn't a great power puncher and, you know, Hunt didn't do a bad job in that fight, considering his skill set. And then he faced Alexi Olenek. And Olenek, again, is about as favorable as an opponent as he gets. Justin Willis is far less favorable for a full-fledged Mark Hunt than Alexi Olenek is. And the fact that Hunt lost to Olenek, just, I just can't trust him anymore at all. Yeah, Justin I'm Willis is young, he's hungry, sure. and he can, you know... He can crack. Justin Willis, in my opinion, again, probably Justin Willis and Walt Harris are better prospects than Tai Tuivasa. Interesting. I, I, I'm. Uh, we'll we'll move on to the main event. In the main event, we have Junior Dos Santos, who is 19 and five, taking on Tai Tuivasa, who is 10 and 0. Uh, f- the betting line opened up in this one. Junior Dos Santos as the favorite. At minus 135, Tai Chi at minus 105. Uh, since then, people are betting down Dos Santos to minus 150. Tai open up or up to plus 130 in this one. So uh, go ahead and continue what you were saying about Tai Um You think you're just – it sounds like you're not sold on him at all, correct? Yeah, I'm not. I think Tai Tui Vaza is kind of a symptom of um, the UFC really wanting that sort of Anzac prospect for heavyweight. Uh, because, you know, it's a new market, especially with the kind of um, Robert Whitaker and Tyson Pedro, and especially with the retirement of Mark Hunt, you kind of need someone to fill that niche, right? And I don't think that um, Taito Ivaza, who's been sold as Mark Hunt's protege, is really anything as special as Mark Hunt was in his prime, because I think people underestimate how special Mark Hunt was, right? Mark Hunt, he was a legitimate great kickboxer with a legitimately iron chin, who could crack and who made great technical strides later in his career. And Tai Tuivasa at this stage is raw athleticism. He's raw athleticism and swarming bad fighters. And he is a ridiculous lack of cardio. In one of his amateur fights, he gassed out incredibly fiercely. I think in one of his pro fights, he gassed out pretty badly as well. But his gas tank is just not up to snuff. And I think that contrasts with Junior Dos Santos, who is not only active with the body jab, but it was also coming off a five-round decision where he kept a reasonable work rate. He didn't look great. He got cracked a couple of times, but he kept a reasonable work rate in that fight over 25 minutes. I think this fight favors Junior Dos Santos, but I'm also a little bit worried about Junior just because, you know, Tai Tuivas is a swarmer and he's going to back Junior up and Junior's going to get stuck against the fence and maybe get, you know, elbowed to death. But I think most of the factors in this fight favors Junior Dos Santos. He's a lot sharper in open space. He's a better boxer by a very, very long shot. 
He has a legitimately good jab that should be able to keep the swarming of Tai Tuivaza at bay. I think minus 150 is a pretty good spot for him, considering that there isn't, again, a great reason to trust him. Like, Blago Ivanov is basically a no-name in uh, MMA, and Dos Santos didn't look great. But the fact that he got the job done fairly decisively just makes me think that Tai Tuivaza is, he has an uphill battle. Yeah, I, I'm going to agree with you there. He, uh, again, I like Tuivasa Laka's the podcast and everything. I uh, was really, you know, loved his win against Rashad Coulter. That was a, you know, a very fun fight. And, of course, he beat up on Cyro Asker pretty good. But he, uh, you know, Arn Trevolovsky, that fight was razor, razor thin. And I honestly had to go back and re rescore that one. I remember it being really, really close. And I think betting on Arlovsky by decision. Uh, but I don't think I was too confident in, in it happening. I didn't think he was going to get gifted it. Uh, so like I said, can't be too confident on uh, that decision. But, uh, you know, everything you're saying is great. Yeah, Dos Santos is a much better boxer, fought better competition, has gone the five rounds before, gone the five rounds really recently, uh, you know, against a guy who gasses late who or who gasses early, doesn't have a good uh, cardio at all, is relatively unproven, hasn't really fought anybody too good. Um, so... Minus 150, you rarely say it is, but that's a really good price for a favorite. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, if the, uh, I would bet him at those odds, and, but honestly, I can see people maybe betting Toivos a little more as uh, the fight gets closer. Who knows um, if, uh, you know, uh, Aussie money is a, a thing or not. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I expected uh, Dos Santos to get this one done either by, by decision or round 3-4-5 knockout. Yeah, I'm guessing decision just because Tuivasa looks fairly durable. And Dos Santos by decision is um, plus 259 right now. So I think that's a very good bet considering that Dos Santos is the favorite. And Dos Santos hasn't really hunted for a finish in a long time. Uh, but, you know, with Tuivasa's cardio issues, I wouldn't recommend putting a ton on it because uh, Dos Santos hitting him with body jabs might make him have a heart attack. But I think uh, Dos Santos is the value bet on this card to be honest even as a favorite i think dos santos is the value bet on this card basically everything in this fight favors him except for the fact that he won his last one which means that he's probably gonna lose this one because that's yeah, how his career saw, is gone i saw that for a long time yeah it, that's interesting um i think his maybe uh minus five and a half points line will be a good uh good line to bet on because if it goes to decisions i see it being very lopsided but i honestly could see him get the finish in three four five two like i said so Good, good yeah. fight. Good fight, though. Uh, you know the the main card in this one is is really good. Uh, the prelims are absolutely brutal, honestly. But uh, luckily, I'm um, looking forward to that. Uh, Yusef Mokatarian fight. Uh, Matthews and Martin should be a really really good one. And then the top three fights are all going to be really good. Uh, three big uh, Aussie New Zealand guys. That place is probably going to be jumping. Um, you know, uh, if you saw Robert Whitaker uh, beat uh, Derek Brunson in in Australia or New Zealand when he fought, that was one of the craziest crowds I've ever seen in my entire life. So uh, if uh, you know some of the Aussies are able to get it done, I honestly don't even know if they're Aussie or New Zealand or if I'm pretty sure they're pretty simultaneous. Um, but regardless, uh, you know, this one should be a good card. And uh, we've been talking for, for a couple, almost uh, two hours. Um, but uh, we, can't, we can't go without saying a few words about Chuck versus Tito happening this past weekend. So, uh, what oh, did, must we? <laughs> did, you, uh, did you watch live? That's my question. No, I did not. Interesting. I uh, I uh, was at the mountains with my friends, and we had our PS4 hooked up, and 
Uh, I went on the PS4 browser, found a, a stream, and threw it on the TV, and it was streaming great, uh, even though we were in the middle of nowhere, and uh, we all had a good laugh watching that fight. Uh, you know, me and uh, nine other guys, I was I was excited that it, it captivated them. Uh, you know, they obviously they knew who Liddell was, and they wanted to see him fight at 48 years old. Um, you know, when it's expected, obviously, I thought he was going to go down on the first hard punch that landed, and that's pretty much what happened. Um, so... Uh, you know, yeah, nothing to say about that. Yeah, no, but it that was, was, little, um, it was a funny. failure by the licensing commission. Just that was uncomfortable to hear about. I can't imagine watching it live and being a you know, if someone were a gigantic Chuck fan and watched that live, it's just kind of a bastardization of his legacy, and it's sad. It should not have happened. I think that's all that really needs to be said. Yep, hundred uh, percent. You know, it's it just happened. You know, it's it's. It's unfortunate that the UFC didn't, you know, keep Chuck around. He was supposed to have a quote-unquote lifetime position with the UFC. Uh, you know, he was supposed to have a job for the rest of his life, you know, working with the company that he pretty much dedicated his life to. And then when they sold to WME, he gets kicked to the curb. And then a couple years later, he's fighting again. So it's a cruel, cruel cycle. But um, that's a, that all, uh, you're right. That's all we need to say about that one. And uh, after two hours, it's definitely time to conclude this one. So, uh, my man, Sri Ram, thanks a lot for coming on the program. My pleasure. Yo, uh, we'll have to have you back soon. Uh, hope your boy RDA comes through this weekend. Uh, top ten fighter, yeah. top ten fighter of all time. Uh, you know, hopefully he he pulls off uh, the, the upset victory this weekend and uh, make us a little bit of cash. So, um, with that being said, that is going to be all for episode forty two of Martian Mixed Martial Arts. And ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, aliens, Martians, any conscious being, thank you for tuning into the podcast. And I will catch you guys next week for UFC two thirty one. Peace.